Hey, welcome back to Point Blank. This is John Carcosa in from Chicago. Todd Sullivan. In from L.A. Mo Youssef. And in the house? Mike Zapsek. Ming Chun. Our special guest today. Larry Hama. Larry Hama. Oh, Larry right. Legend, someone <laughs> said. And uh, we're going to have quite a bit to talk to Larry about tonight. But before we begin, I just have to get to this, Mo. In a in a shocking case, you you did make a prediction, and I don't know how you do it, but you did it. And last week you said, "Mark my words, Antonio Brown will be a Patriot at this time next week." And uh, I don't know if it was the boldest prediction you've ever made, but gosh darn it, it came true. How was he picked up a mere three minutes after being cut by the Raiders? Talk to me, my friend. Well, you know, yeah, you have every single uh, outlet out there who's saying there's conspiracy all over this. Uh, Antonio Brown is going to be the next financial guru where, you know, you go from uh, a guaranteed $30 million to making $13 million. Uh, this year, uh, we knew that his it was a, he was basically a ticking time bomb. He wasn't going to last in Las Vegas. Um, at first, I had said well, that he was last going in Las Vegas. He didn't even get. I'm to I'm sorry, Las sorry. Yeah, yeah, in Oakland, Oakland. In Oakland. He didn't even get to Las yeah, Vegas. I've already, I've already, you know, shipped the Raiders out to Las Vegas. But um, I honestly thought he was going to go to the Browns first, as as really as as a retaliation towards the Steelers, so he could right. play them twice a year. But then, um, you know, I, I get my my call. I can't re- reveal my sources, right, uh, Tim? Oh, and and uh, he said that the the um, you know the the Patriots now are the team that pick up everybody's problems and they convert them. Into, there have uh, there have been countless three, three receivers. I'm sorry, there have been four receivers. Yep. In NFL history, mm-hmm. that have achieved at least 1,600 yards in a season. Three of them are playing for the Patriots. Right now. Yeah. Demarius Thomas. Correct. Uh, Antonio Brown. Correct. And Josh Gordon. Correct. There yeah. you go. And then, by the way, the other one is a surefire Hall of Famer, Julian sure. Edelman. <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, you were right. Yeah. I, you know, they had to plug a hole because they, they were still missing a tight end. Guys, they there's they still have that... You know, piece missing, but I That's think they'll be okay. Them down, yeah, they'll be okay. That Gronk-sized hole. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing: in a year where, at the in the end of the year, just a couple of months, it, at the height of football playoff season, there's going to be a little movie coming out called Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, and there's rumors that a character long thought dead, Emperor Palpatine, might be coming back, but he stalks the sidelines of every Patriots game in that right. same hoodie. And so uh, the power of the Sith has succeeded. Okay, let's get to some breaking news, guys. Uh, two two bits of news coming out of Disney+. Plus. Uh, first is that for the upcoming Hawkeye series that we've discussed here several times on Point Blank uh, with Jeremy Renner, who I'm not ashamed to admit is, uh, is my man crush, uh, in the titular role of Hawkeye, <laughs> training the next generation Kate Bishop, announced today that Marvel offered the role to Haley Steinfeld. And uh, for those that aren't in the know, uh, sure, she's a pop singer, and sure, she's been in the last two Pitch Perfect movies. However, where she came to my attention was in the amazing 2012 remake of True Grit, with uh, with Jeff Bridges as Rooster Cogburn in the John Wayne role, and uh, and she showed all of the salt that you would want for someone to play the next Archer on the Avengers. Uh, this is big news, and once again, Marvel 
hits the casting out of the park. Ming, what do you think about this? Well, uh, I mean, they hit a bullseye with this one. Oh! Hey, now. The, uh, uh, yeah, you know, in, in the counts, I, I always thought Kate Bishop was way cooler than Clint Barton. So, uh, oh, you know, wow. they, they had to, you know, I, I, I love her because she, uh, she gives, she, she doesn't let Clint get away with anything, gives him a ton of crap, puts mm-hmm. him in his place. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about the actress. Uh, so I'll trust your judgment here. I I'm, I have not seen the Pitch Perfect movies, um, but uh, I I've got, I always trust Marvel's casting, and uh, I yeah. think um, I, I think that, I think this will be great. I'm just glad they're making this at all. I never thought I would, this would ever see the light of day in a live action format. So well, you, you know, it's funny they they've been staggering out. Just just to go back to the NFL for a second. You know, observers of the sports world noted about 10, 15 years ago what the NFL has done is between the draft and the combine and the summer camps, they've turned it into a 12-month season. People are talking about the NFL 12 months a year. And Marvel's doing that, too. Marvel is slow-rolling these announcements. We were just here a week ago talking about how they added uh, uh, Jon Snow, uh, Kit Harrington to the Eternals, you know, and Richard Madden before that. Staying relevant. And and now they've got this. But, But that's not the only news, Mike. The only news is now the rumor mill is in big, big churn. Because with her being offered the role, they said the next Disney Plus series to be announced, which probably won't be on the air till 2021 or 2022, is Young Avengers. Called you. Uh, all right. So Who called, called it? it. Mike Who called it. Who called it? So Mike yep. playing the role of Mo with the prediction. <laughs> Mike, for those that don't know, okay, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Young Avengers and what we can look forward to here. All right. After the... Events of Avengers Disassembled. We had this group of don't call them sidekicks. Sidekicks. They they all had a what appeared to be a very strong connection to a certain Avenger, and they came together to uh, fill the void that the Avengers, yep. you know, it was lacking. So uh, you had Iron Lad, you had Hulkling, you had Asgardian, and you had Patriot. Patriot, Patriot yes. Yeah. And um, Patriot was dressed like Bucky, mm-hmm. and um, Hulkling looked like Bruce Banner, and it was, um, and they all had these obvious connections. But turns out, you know, Alan Heinberg, who sure. wrote this, flipped it on its ear, and it not right. everything was as it seemed. They did have ties to the Avengers, right. just not the ones that were like on the surface. And then they added a couple of other youths that actually wound up having a little bit more ties uh, as it turned out. Mm-hmm. Kate Bishop, of Kate course, Bishop being, being the one. next Hawkeye. Uh, uh, Cassie Lang, Scott Lang, Ant-Man's daughter. Who is now age-appropriate during the blip. After they oh. did that five-year time yep. jump in the, the blip. MCU. So she now is a teenager. Um, you also had um, uh, I guess... Um, Speed. Uh, Speed and uh, Wiccan. So I think well, Wiccan was Asgardian. So he oh, right, 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 right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, um, so, so yeah. So let's see because we now had a few of these characters introduced. There's potential for them. Uh, one of the next rumor casting is um, uh, America Chavez, uh, the character. So they might not be going with the original young comics accurate True. Young Avengers lineup, but it looks like they're going that direction. And I'll just be more money in the bank for Marvel. But they can go Iron Lad with the kid from Iron Man Three. Because he is now age mm-hmm. appropriate. Wow, and yeah. Bango, and they did bring him up out of nowhere in that and final Infinity. scene in Avengers, Avengers, mm-hmm. uh, Endgame. Yeah, where the whole theater was like, "Who's that kid?" Yeah, right now. 
Oh, my God, it's that kid that bullied me in high school. Oh, crap. Larry, do you get out to the cinema? you see any of these MCU movies? Um, I, I see them at the Marvel front of family screenings. Okay, you had to throw that in our face. Okay. <laughs> I was going to go to that. <laughs> I think our invite was lost in the mail, Todd. What happened? Yeah, I was lacking two things. Our yeah. friends, friends or family. <laughs> and, well, Sweet, man. Sweet. I, I actually have a reserved seat. It's like uh, I get the same seat every time. It's like right on the aisle. So you might as well just put your name right on it. That's it. Do the uh, Marvel friends and family screen a free popcorn or... Or no. I never get the popcorn. Okay. Really, but, just, uh, I'm just wondering. Uh, how about this? It's I'll go. At, I'll at, eat the popcorn. Okay. They always have it at the same theater up at uh, uh, across the street from uh, Lincoln Center. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a huge multiplex. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, and the last three of them. Um, I think there's something like three screens that they have, you know, for just for the Marvel right. people. And uh, so the group that I'm in, we, we got the uh, the IMAX. So okay, nice. so you got the big screen. Yeah, we got the the big uh, screen with, the, with all that sound also. Yes, yeah. to go yeah. with it. Yeah, great sound. Yeah, yeah. Not as good as the Ziegfeld. Oh no, that's a classic theater. Yeah, no. pretty good sound. One screen. Yeah, great place. Have they converted yes. any of the theaters to 4D, the 4D experience? There, Where? there is a 4D theater. Uh, a couple yeah. of them up in New York. There's one in in Irvine. Have you have you experienced? I have. I have. Actually, I saw the. Uh, uh, Spider-Man Away From Home. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. the one where they blow wind on your face, and uh, if there's water, they'll throw water. They'll yeah. spray water yeah, in your, your face. Your, it's, yeah, you get pretty rock a little. You get pretty beat up when you get when you're out so of Yet again, Kentucky <laughs> Fried Movie way ahead of the curve. Oh, my gosh. So. Better than Smell-O-Vision. Yeah. Right. Oh, yes. Again. <laughs> As I get older, I appreciate IMAX more. It's like the large print edition uh, equivalent for <laughs> movies for me. So I'm like, yeah, I can see stuff now. It's great. You mentioned the Ziegfeld Theater. I think the last time I was in there was the first of the prequels, Star Wars prequels. Wow. I can remember the lines around the block, everyone crazy excited. Right. You couldn't buy, you couldn't pre buy online. You had to wait in Opening line to get night. your ticket. Opening night. And then just stand by the exits to see all the, the dashed hopes. <laughs> <laughs> God's not real, kids. <laughs> Or so, well, so we, well, you know, the thing is, you know, everybody in the comic book business used to all go see movies together. You know, there was, um, That's great. I think I saw the first Star Wars at the Lowe's Astor Plaza with about 50 comic book people. Wow. Because Chris Claremont got there at like 8 o'clock in the morning or something. Wow. <laughs> and just saved, you know, the the spot online and he just let everybody in. <laughs> you know, you'd think uh, you know, people would get sort of honked off at that, but you know, after you got like 20, 30 people, then I was going to say it. <laughs> Chris Claremont. And, and we had the first, we had the first two rows. Chris, Chris Claremont, of course, for those that, uh, that don't know, and if you don't know, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, but uh, longtime X-Men writer, and uh, along with the man to my right here, probably credited with, uh, with a, you know, just about the most character development on Wolverine as, uh, as anyone out there. But, um, but let's move on to the next bit 
of uh, breaking news, okay? Something from the real world is going to invade the podcast for a minute, and it's just because it happened to happen today. Uh, the mustache is free. John Bolton, our national security advisor, was let go today. Uh, Mo, this was not one of your predictions, but uh, but but is there any insight you can give us into uh, into what's happening here in the world of politics? We now do not have a national security advisor. Right, there'll be an acting one uh, pretty soon because it doesn't have to go through the process of being uh, confirmed. And uh, I think this is what resignation number sixty-two or sixty-three. So yeah, so. If, if if you needed John Bolton yeah. to complete your Trump administration uh, resignation, bingo! Congratulations, you have one. Mo, uh, who's next? <laughs> oh. It's but, not John Bolton, uh, the comic book artist, right? No, no, no relation. No relation. No, 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 yeah, yeah. right. May have been. Maybe I next. Um, so here's the thing with John Bolton. Okay, he was a notorious hardliner. Um, uh, you know, he was very hawkish to get us into Iraq. Uh, that didn't work out too well, and uh, and he's the one who's actually ironically been advocating to Trump not to be so nicey nice with Kim Jong Un, and Trump didn't like it. Trump Trump likes getting these love letters from Kim Jong Un that he's always talking to the press about, and he didn't like that Bolton was uh, was reading them first. So he's out. <laughs> <laughs> And I think he's just disappointed we're not in Iran by now. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's yeah. that's the yeah. next part of his plan. Yeah. Uh, listen, one last bit of comic casting news, and it's going to be strangely uh, relevant here. Um, so we knew that they were they were kind of soft rebooting the GI Joe film franchise, um, and uh, and they're doing a Snake Eyes solo movie. And uh, the cat they recast Snake Eyes. They're not using Ray Park. They're using Henry Golding. Uh, uh, who had a uh, you know great success in Crazy Rich Asians, uh, currently starring in the trailer for the upcoming movie with the music of George Michael called Last Christmas alongside the Khaleesi, and um, and uh, and he's going to be playing. Uh, Snake Eyes. And so, of course, some fans were upset about this, but Ray Park came out and tweeted. He said, guys, I wanted this for a long time. He goes, but, you know, even I can recognize there's a certain time when you can't do it anymore. Let's all get behind Henry and help him uh, produce, uh, the, you know, the best movie that we can. So I thought that was very classy of Ray. But, uh, but Larry, a couple of your other characters have been cast as well. And I wanted to get your opinion here if you knew okay. anything about this. So uh, they've cast an actor named Andrew Koji as Storm Shadow. You can't have Snake Eyes without Storm Shadow. Their origins are, you know, will always be intertwined. And uh, so Andrew I don't know about. But this next actor I do know and I like a lot. And it's Iwa Uwes. And, and if, you, if you don't know that name, you're going to. He was in The Raid. He did an amazing job in The Raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had another role in a little scene movie, but it's a great airplane movie. It's 90 minutes. It's called Mile 22 with Mark Wahlberg. And um, I forget this, guys. Your coat, your your your. your AMC co-worker. She was Maggie on uh, Walking Dead. Oh, Lauren Cohen. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Lauren Cohen and Mark Wahlberg, they're, they were a, a CIA uh, um, you know, agents. And uh, and Iko Uwais was in this movie as well, along with the Raid. He's going to be playing Larry, the hard master, the huh. person responsible for uh, for training the boys here. So He seems kind of young for that. I, 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 I thought a, that is – oh, so you're familiar with the actor. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So did they consult with you on any of these casting decisions – no, no. <laughs> he, 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 I'll tell you. Why what, should they? <laughs> he, he can, he can move on the screen though. Uh, uh, he is just a, a, a wonder to behold. Uh, I see you have, uh, have. Well, for those that don't know, can you explain what you're wearing here? Oh, it's a, a polo shirt with the uh, yeah, Arashikage 
sigil. Clan sigil there. So this well, it's, it's the hexagram. Uh, so this would be, of course, the 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 clan that that. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and later on uh, Jinx and uh, mm-hmm. and many of our other characters within the G.I. Joe universe were part of. So uh, I believe in the last movie they, they did have a flashback to the Blind Master who was um, in a somewhat unorthodox casting uh, played by the RZA of Wu-Tang Clan. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, <laughs> he didn't meet the criteria maybe of being too young, but there were some other criteria, but he did a good job. So uh, so this Snake Eyes movie is a go. They're putting a nice cast together here. Um, is this something you're going to be friends and family at? Are you, or do you look forward to these movies? Is there any sort of a thrill maybe of seeing characters whose origins you penned and created come to life on screen before your eyes? Well, sure. It's... Um it's always kind of freaky, though. It's because yeah. uh, sometimes they get it, they nail it, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're like ten miles off. <laughs> uh, so it's always a crapshoot, you know. Who've they got it right for, and who've they been off? I have no idea. From your perspective, what? Who have they got it? Where you, where you oh, say well, it, sometimes well, they nail it, and sometimes it's way. Like, off. what's an example? You thought, man, yeah. they did a good job. Did you like maybe The Rock as Roadblock, or what were you thinking? I, I like The Rock, yeah. you know, and um, I thought they, they 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 did some serious miscasting in the first movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> abysmal, abysmal. Uh, I think they I like the second one a lot better, mm-hmm. and um, the the action scenes um, were I, I thought the choreography was a lot tighter. They, you know, and they brought back. Uh, well, they brought back, but they introduced, you know, Bruce Willis's character as General Joe Colton. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the original GI Joe. There, um, you know, th- there was a lot of talk. Are they going to take that iteration, which itself was a soft reboot of the first movie? Yes. And were they going to take that and run with it? But I think they said, you know what? Maybe we'll take sort of an MCU approach. Let's do a Snake Eyes movie. Maybe there'll be a Duke or a Roadblock movie, something like that. Mm-hmm. Bring it back together. Uh, for GI Joe, well, I've I've heard in addition to the Snake Eyes movie, they uh, they have Paramount Hasbro has commissioned into development another ensemble focused GI Joe uh, picture, uh, scripted by Josh Applebaum and Andre Nimick, who wrote uh, Mission Impossible Go- Ghost Protocol. Okay, mm-hmm. and rumored to appear in this one is the character of Chuckles. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious your your thoughts on 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 Chuckles making it to the big screen. Well, that's an interesting uh, reach there. Go ahead. Well, Chuckles. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, that's an odd choice because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of like a a, right. a, a, a sideline character sure. in a lot of ways because he's not the CIA liaison. Yeah, is that he's it? He's the CIA. Uh, he, you know, he's. The guy that no, nobody really trusts. <laughs> Great shirt, though. Yeah, right. I mean, the action figure, the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, and um, you know, he's got he's he's one of he's probably the most shady mm. GI Joe character. Wow. Um, but it's I guess it sort of makes him interesting in, in that way. Um, I, I've tried to play with him in in the continuity to make him uh, more likable. Sure. Um, you know, to give him some other depth rather, other than, you know, he's the guy that 
you know, represents the puzzle palace or something. Sure. And it could be some of those efforts that have brought him to the attention of the screenwriters, which is why they're giving him maybe a little more attention. You know, I always thought it was interesting for that original G.I. Joe movie that they did with Channing Tatum and um, I believe it was Marlon Wayans. It was, yes, one of the Wayans. That was yeah. also a weird choice. That was yeah. a weird, very <laughs> weird choice. I, I thought the casting was a weird choice, but even the character, because you're starting out and, and, you, and you have Duke and, and then he went with Ripcord. Right. You know, and again, that records as nice as anybody. He's got candy and the whole thing going on there. But, 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 you know, that's not what you would think of as one of your core GI Joe team members. And if you had Marlon Wayans, maybe they go with Lonzo D. Wilkinson Stalker or something like that. But, uh, but they did not. And so those movies are in the rear view. Well, now. I think that's maybe uh, a factor of. Uh, I don't think he would have been very convinced. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so. <laughs> As a, as a street gang, uh, <laughs> you know, king that winds up becoming a LERP and then going right, on to, to yeah. all and taking a major leadership role within the GI Joe team. Now I'm not sure Marlon Wayans can pull that off either, <laughs> but I don't think he pulled off Ripcord to much effect either. So I mean, he, he didn't have the the uh, the gravitas, mm, yeah, to, to, or, or the or the presence to do Stalker. I think Stalker has to have a very sort of mm-hmm. uh, quiet, commanding. Presence. There's definitely a stoicness there too. Yeah. Um, uh, who can remember the greatest cameo? I know Mike does, but let's see if Ming does. The the greatest cameo in the original, uh, the first year, first Joe. movie, GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. Uh, there's a number of people they could have went with. Uh, for some reason, they went with as their trainer, Sergeant Stone. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like, who popped up? I can't. I cannot remember. Okay. Star of the original Mummy trilogy. Oh, Brendan Fraser? Fraser? Correct, that's correct. Right. That's right. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> he, he, and he was all right they, with a little bit that they gave him to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mummy Connection. That's, mummy Connection. The Rock? No. Oh, man. We well, don't know. Rock wasn't in that movie. The other one. Rock was in the following movie. Yeah. Similarly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Concurrently. So, so in any event, we're going to be looking forward to that Snake Eyes movie. Uh, and uh, breaking, breaking news to me, I didn't know there wasn't another ensemble movie. So uh, I'm not sure when that's going to be coming out. But the Snake Eyes is due in 2020. I think, yeah, the, the Snake Eyes movie is is in pre-production. Um, but the, 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 the Chuckles thing, um, I think they're just... Spitballing? Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in development. In development. Yeah, in development, say. right. All right, Todd, can you pass me here? I just want to talk about the first beer that we're drinking here. Absolutely. I'll yeah, put you one uh, of the Parmesan cheese. Real quick, Todd, uh, uh, Arnold Vosloo played Zartan in the second movie, so there's oh, your there triple a, mummy connection. That's right. And, and he, no, he was in both. Right. He was in the first and the second that's right. movie. So right. that is the, the connection. continuity, yeah. That's right. And Arnold Vosloo, of course, was uh, in disguise as the president played by Jonathan Price. Yes. Thank uh, you, Mark he's Walters. He's very good, though. He's, oh, uh, no, he's a great actor. I, I, I was very – And he was very serious. Yes. Uh, he grilled me for you know half an hour. Really? Um, when because uh, I was out there to do a, a cameo. Okay. And um, so I'm in the scene with the with uh, with all the NATO generals in the sure. conference, and uh, so he, I was uh, we were waiting to do a scene, and he he just cornered me and uh, just. You know, wanted to know about the character. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he's a serious actor, and um, I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, he, he wanted, he just wasn't there to do it. He wanted to right. 
to have some uh, some depth to it. Because a lot of people, you know, they'll do uh, a superhero movie or you know a, a comic book movie, and they're not really taking it seriously because they think it's, you know, it's a nice paycheck, but maybe yeah. not much more than that. Yeah. Um, but he wanted to know about the character, right? And you know, when when they want to know about the character, you know, I'm totally willing to. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, they went they went to the right guy to get that info. Um, and his his performance was one of the things that was praised even about that original movie. Right. So uh, who knows? He he did I think meet his fate at the end of uh, Retaliation, but uh, but 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 he has a tendency of coming back in the books as well. Um, so let's get to. Uh, oh, I was going to say before we get to our next point, I just want to take a brief break to talk about the first beer we're drinking here. It's called Mama Bears Sour Cherry Pie. Now, Larry. I don't know if you'd like to try some of this. We'll certainly offer it to you. It's from our friends out at Crooked Stave Brewing. Mm-hmm. Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project. They're in Denver. Um, when I went out to Denver for the last GABF, Great American uh, Brew Fest, Beer Fest, we uh, we stopped by. It's almost if you go to Denver for anything beer-related, you have to stop by Crooked Stave. If you go to Denver for anything at all, you probably should stop by. So what do we got going on here? Um, this is a Burgundy Sour Ale. Aged in oak barrels with, okay, and, and you know, we're almost a, a approaching absurdity point, with Colorado Montmorency cherries. So we've got it all going on here. Now, this is the result of blending these carefully chosen batches of cherries with a heavy-handed addition sourced from the orchards in Colorado's western slope. This is the 2016 harvest. It's a 2018 <laughs> beer. Mama Bear's Sour Cherry Pie coming in. At a, at a relatively mild, it is the lowest of the beers we'll have tonight, 6% ABV. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, there's definitely some strong cherry flavor there to go with the sour. Um, Todd, your thoughts? It's inter- I mean, it's it's really good. It's a sweet and sour balance is, is right on the line, I think, not not kind of overpowering in either direction. I, I like it a lot. It's good. That's actually it's – a, it's a good observation. You know, I just say when, when – when I was looking at it, and for those that are listening, uh, you're not going to be able to see this, but you can you can look it up on Facebook Live. Uh, it, it it has the color and almost the consistency of a of a of a light mud, and um, so it didn't look the most appetizing. But but I think the way you put it, a good balance of sweet and sour. Ming, I uh, I this reminds I I feel like I'm drinking a, a cherry pie that I had in Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, a couple months ago. What's wrong with that? It's uh yeah, it's like a like a drinkable alcoholic version of a cherry pie right here. Well done, uh, Crooked State Brewing. Yeah, and they always bring it, man. They they do good stuff out there. Um, that's quite an endorsement. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> all right, listen, we're going to do top three, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to shake it up this week. We're not going to do all the usual segments we do, because we're going to devote the next segment after this to our guest, Mr. Larry Hama. So our top three in honor of our guest this week was top three G.I. Joe characters. Now, there were a number of questions that came in from across the point-blank viewership uh, and listenership uh, and online fan presence, which was saying, oh, do you, do you mean comic characters? Do you mean cartoon characters? Do you mean toy characters? As always in top three, the answer is up to you. You can vote on whatever criteria that you see fit. 
Um, you know, for, for, for those of us of a certain age, you know, you maybe you grew up concurrently on the comic and the cartoon, but what you saw was that the comic lasted much, much, much longer with a much greater continuity and depth of character exploration, largely due to the man right here at my right. Um, but, uh, but, but again, there's, there's those who, uh, maybe they had seen those cartoons and had never gotten into the comics. Maybe that's the only thing. Maybe the only thing you know is the characterization from the TV commercials or the JCPenney catalogs. So, um, so before I reveal the fan vote, let's go around the room. Uh, we're going to start with Mr. Muhammad, strong like a bomb and quick like a comet. What, uh, what were your choices for top three G.I. Joe characters? Go. Well, I picked really the, uh, for for me, the most uh, uh, my favorite are, are also the most popular ones out there. So uh, Duke uh, certainly there. One of the greatest uh, uh, nemesis uh, out there of all time, uh, the Cobra Commander, of course. And then uh, everybody's favorite, Snake Eyes. Okay, all right. Yeah. So yeah. what I can tell you is that several of your characters <laughs> did very well in the fan yeah. voting, yeah. but uh, but you didn't get the top three exactly. Okay, so 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 very Surprising. very wow. very good. Ming, uh, number three. Uh, you know, gotta go with Storm Shadow, the White Ninja. Fascinated me as a kid. Um, buying the toy though, with all the accessories, the bow and arrow, oh, the yeah. two swords, mm. the uh, and and the uh, the White Ninja suit with the I Ching symbol on it. Just fascinated me as a kid. Uh, one of my favorite characters. Uh, I, I I went toys first, of, of course. course. You know, it was a of tangible yep. product. Then you know, I was able to see them in the comic books, and then the uh, and then the TV show. Um, number two, Snow Job. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> okay. How they got away with that name, I'm not really sure. But <laughs> but again, uh, you know, I I, went, I gotta go with the toy first. The toy is amazingly sculpted. Uh, great accessories. Yep. And and just and again, the name. Yeah. Um, uh, made parents of all, uh, all parents of 1983 yeah. take a pause, and then it's like, okay, I guess, yeah, you know, maybe chuckle under their breath. And uh, number one, uh, my favorite character of all time, uh, Firefly. Ooh, um, okay, the saboteur. Yeah, the saboteur. So uh, growing up, uh, I had a younger brother. Uh, he collected all the Joes, which means uh, when men, I swung the other way and collected all the Cobra characters. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, you know, as a kid, I found out, wow, the villains are way more cooler sometimes than the good guys, at least in my mind. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what it was about the the, the Cobra saboteur with the, the gray camouflage uh, almost ninja like you know stealth outfit um that amazing submachine gun with mm-hmm. the vents yep 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 and um the backpack with the little thing that popped out and the cell phone there you that, go man the cell phone <laughs> accessory that every kid lost except for me i watched that thing like a hawk so <laughs> well, I, was, I was gonna say since you're you know tall aficionado and, and and for those that don't remember i'll get to it in a minute but that's part of how ming and i connected is yes. through our love of gi joe toys but but that accessory Yes, that 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 phone, that or, phone, or, the or detonator thing, the you know, communications right. device, right? That is one of the most sought after <laughs> accessories on you know the the GI Joe toy collector yeah. market. N- to your point, nobody saved that thing, man. No, I watched that thing like a hawk, though. Um, you know, I was lucky; I didn't have any pets who would eat it. Uh, you know, my mom didn't sweep it up in the vacuum cleaner. I <laughs> oh. I love that thing. I took care of it, so. 
You think there'd be somebody out there with a 3D printer uh, bootlegging these? Things? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You're making some serious coins. Don't, don't give sure. me any ideas. <laughs> hey, Maybe you need to buy a 3D we printer. Come, we come in next week to the studio, Mike, yeah. and there's a 3D printer over there where their spinner rack used to be. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, I don't even think that 400 mailers in the next room. I don't think that accessory came in the. Uh, remember the the battle packs where you could get you know, you could buy the different accessories or different right. colors. Uh, with the battle stands, I don't know if that ever came as part of the uh, the battle packs. But um, to uh, all the kids who are who watch that thing like a hawk, uh, you know, cheers to you, because that thing got lost by every kid. Mike, we're gonna throw it over to you, my friend. I'm I'm a little bit older than most of bit. the people sitting here. Um, and no offense to you, Larry, but I was not the biggest GI Joe cartoon and three and three quarter inch. I'm from the old. I'm from like the days of Nixon and Ford and <laughs> 38 like cents. I love that. No, they were action figures, like, my friend. Like 13 inch action figures. My three favorites were Mike Power, the Atomic Man, uh-huh. who had a see through arm and it came with a, um, a helicopter blade. You could twist his arm and he would spin and he would fly. Which is weird as hell. Uh, Eagle-eyed G.I. Joe. A, a proto-inspector gadget, it sounds like. No, actually, uh, they were trying to jump on the $6 million man mm, market. I got you. Which was really weird because uh, Mike Power only had one atomic leg. So he could only run in circles at 60 miles an hour. Or, or, really or he could hop really well. Yeah. <laughs> he could duck. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Your number two? Eagle-eyed G.I. Joe. He was, um, his eyes would would move back and forth. Yes, so yeah, he yes. Would follow you, and he that, had the. Wasn't that creepy as Frank there? I mean, uh, you know, he's he's. Of course, <laughs> of course. You're like, all right, he's looking at the, he's checking out Barbie and the the uh, Charlie's Angels dolls, and my number one was Bullet Man, the Human Bullet. This was part of the GI Joe Adventure Team. All three right. of these guys, right? Um, after Vietnam. You know, America was getting a little war weary. <laughs> they kind of pivoted. There he is. They pivoted away from the combat accurate versions. Yes, and he had chrome arms. Winter had, Soldier. Yeah, well, these were built <laughs> very well. They had real buttons and everything. Yeah, right? this yeah. helmet. He had this belt, which was so cool. You couldn't use it on anybody, any other action figure. And uh, he had a he had flyaway action. You could string him up. And um, he had hooks on the back of his costume, and he would fly. Oh wow! That's so super... it was pre- right there. You Is go. there any connection to like the Faucet Man, like Bullet Man, the like... Faucet Bullet Man? Yeah. No, like... no, they. Um, I... It looks like there's a very similar uh, 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 configuration here. What the the headdress? Yeah, a little, little, little bit, a little bit. Little bit. Uh, Mike, do we have any evidence of the cosplay you used to do? <laughs> right, oh, tinfoil oh, helmet, all, all burned, I've heard all destroyed. Stories, no, all destroyed, and uh, they cannot be uh, without a liable suit going. So it's excellent. <laughs> Todd, your own top three. All right. I'll, first, I have to start with a, a question as to maybe this is an honorable mention. Does does Tamax or Zamot count as one or two? Definitely two. That's two. two oh two come on, brothers. they count as I, one. I, I don't know because it, it, for me, whenever that comes up, it's a question of are they joined by the word and or by an ampersand. And in their case, I think it's an ampersand. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say you can use that as one. I appreciate that. I All right. Think, I think it's one because you you, you couldn't buy one without the other. You couldn't have one without. But, the I, other. but I paid for two we, figures though. So we got a ruling right here. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I paid for two fingers. It's double the cost. Yeah. That's because you bought on the secondary market, Ming, and, and no, shame no, no, on no. you. I bought mine off the rack, man. I definitely bought it off the rack, but it was like, you know, instead of... Oh, here they are. Look yeah. at them. Instead of two ninety eight, it was it was doubles. I it was it was six ninety eight. Without looking, without looking, which one has the with, scar? Without looking, quick combat trivia, Mini, who has a scar? You know, that's Zaymot. I have to look. That's Zaymot. It's got to be Zaymot. Zaymot. That's Zaymot. Yes, correct. All right, Larry knows. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. You're... All right, um, I'm going to go number three is uh, leader of the Dreadnoughts, Zartan. Okay, I think Zartan, 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 Zartan. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, it, it, he was super cool character, could imitate anyone he wanted, like just the ability to just be that kind of a chameleon. I also loved in, in just prepping to make sure I had this, this backstory right. There was a line in here from his Wikipedia page about his introduction in issue number 48, brought into the pit G.I. Joe's headquarters, uh -huh. disguised as an injured Joe. Any, any ideas which one? <sighs> I should know that. Ripcord is correct. Oh, yeah, he just nice. said it before. Yeah. That was that whole storyline. Yeah. Zartan is confronted by Sergeant Slaughter while impersonating Gung Ho as the real Gung Ho is standing next to him, <laughs> right. trying to figure out which one is really Zartan. Slaughter oh, punches God. one of them, and by luck, it is the imposter. And he's found out. I actually the, drew that one. Which one is that? Uh, the Wikipedia one. That was from Order of Battle. Right here. On the top left? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. He, uh, I mean, wow. again, as wow. Ming says, going back to the toys, uh, I had him. He was How super cool, cool he? that he had the UV reactive plastic. And yeah, the little knee pads that little, changed colors. His little yeah. swamp buggy, too. He and his buggy would yeah. all change colors. Yeah, that, that broke down the into sun. the thing, the box yep, thing that exactly. he could drag, yeah. Nobody else is going to point out that Sergeant Slaughter just flipped a coin and punched. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how he rolled. Man. I, I, with his career, too. And uh, New Jersey native Sergeant Slaughter. Yes, we know, man. I think he's driving a limo over in. Uh, oh, my God. In, I'm, I'm not saying it. I'm just. I heard. No, no he's uh, he's living in North Carolina, I think. Oh, he's in North Carolina now? Yeah. He's, uh, he's doing okay. So, yeah, right. he's on the convention circuit. I, I, I did like convention see him at the convention. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Number two, I'm going to go. Uh, Mo, someone Mo mentioned is uh, Cobra Commander, I, and the the reasoning is I have him down as the most diva evil terrorist of all time, <laughs> yeah. and I think the inspiration for Cam Newton's next outfit. So, oh my I, god, I, I'm I'm excited to see that. And number one, um, I, I have to agree with Muhammad is Snake Eyes. Uh, my thought my, on him is these badass beyond words. See what he did there? Look at that. I get it. He doesn't speak beyond words. No, he's just, I mean, he was, <laughs> right. the, uh, in, he was just the coolest. And there you go. So that's my three. Actually, the image there, uh, the second one, but without the, without that text, that has been my, my wallpaper for a long time. I mean, it's just, there's so many cool images of him out there. And, and Larry, what you're able to do with his character, I think we all, know the background behind the figure you know where they're trying to save some money and and not use any <laughs> right. uh any color no, any dye no, no color and just cheap out and uh and who could have predicted you know from the cool factor and oh man, <laughs> mike, mike says only mo could have predicted. <laughs> but the, the the amazing backstory you were able to to give to him i remember um I know the first issue of G.I. Joe I read, and it was in the single digits. It wasn't number one or two, but it might have been three or four. And the story kind of starts in media res, and they're they're coming back from some mission. 
And since Snake Eyes doesn't speak, and since you never give it access to his thought bubbles as well, most of what you're... There are no thought bubbles. <laughs> most, <laughs> most of what you're... It's exactly right. So most of what you're, you're, you're given exposition-wise from him has come from other characters. And, you know, Clutch is saying to, like, uh, you know, Grunt or something, you know, it wasn't fair what Snake Eyes pulled out of his boot and did to those cobras, you know? And I, I just, I was, I was like an eight-year-old kid. I'm like, well, what did he have in his What did he have in his boot? What did he do to them? And uh, so, yeah, good call there. And, and there's a reason that, you know, he keeps coming up as number one. But I'll give you my own top three before we uh, we get to two, uh, two special things here. So my, my, my number three uh, also was mentioned tonight by one of you guys, and it was by Ming. And my number three is snow job um you know i remember reading that file card and larry uh this is probably some of your work where <laughs> it says um you know yeah sure he's a you know a biathlete and uh you know excelled at skiing and and shooting but it, it said you know his name is snow job not because uh you know he's great on skis it's because he's a con artist and i just remember being as a kid like that's like a nifty little piece of info to include in there. You know, now I've got a toy, you know, and, and I'm trying to have him scan the other toys scan out of something, you know. And so I was just, I was a, cool, a cell phone. cool little toy. I was going to say, Ming's got one of those. Uh, <laughs> you could probably get that from him. Um, and then my number two is aforementioned, um, and, and this is a, maybe a little bit of upset, but, but Snake Eyes is my number two. While I think he is one of the coolest characters in all of fiction and, and I said he's been my wallpaper there for 10 years and you know on my on my desktop and um, and you know you're playing you know you always kind of imagine like how cool Snake Eyes is but but I have him as my number two because I do think I have somebody that's just a little bit cooler and um, and to me he personified cool I kind of signaled this a little bit a while ago when I mentioned one of the tidbits from his file card. But over the course of the comic series, uh, and the fact that he was one of the originals, um, Stalker. Stalker is my number one. Um, you know, it said something like, you know, before he joined the army, he was a warlord of like some street gangs in the inner city. And then, um, you know, as we learned about his background, he was certainly part of that great LERP unit with uh, with the guys that would go on to become Storm Shadow and, and Snake Eyes along with uh, a few others and uh, Wade. And, and, and you know, always being there, being the level hand of the G.I. Joe team, you know, not taking any crap from anybody. Uh, Stalker is my number one. And uh, before I reveal the fan vote, We've got to ask the father which of his kids are his favorites. Okay, I can do that pretty easily. I'm not going to reveal it on the air because there's a chance they could be watching, but I can do it pretty easily. But, uh, but, but, Larry, out of all the characters you created and all the file cards you wrote and characters who's you've put dialogue in their mouths, uh, do you have three favorites of your own? Oh, sure. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and Storm Shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I, as far as I'm concerned, that's the core of all the stories, and um, their you know interrelationship, uh, and you know the uh, how they they um, resolve the uh, you know the the big schism mm -hmm. from you know from from the origin i think is the main uh, theme mm -hmm. of the whole of the whole story i mean uh, 
to me, uh, G.I. Joe has always been about uh, the futility of vengeance. Uh, that's that's always been the main theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other theme is, is loyalty. Right. Um, and I think that the, the loyalty fantasy is, is uh, the really strong fantasy that makes it work. Um, you know, it's not a fantasy about jumping out of airplanes and shooting things. You know, it's, it's the fantasy that, you know, you're part of this group and you, and you can trust everybody mm-hmm. to back you up. They've, they've, got your they've back. all got your back, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if you're in trouble, they'll come and get you. Um, and uh, because every kid, you know, by the time you're five or six, you've been betrayed. <laughs> Somebody took your uh, little walkie-talkie yeah. toy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, right. You know. <laughs> uh, so, so the idea of like you know people who won't betray you is is a is a is a very strong concept. That's pretty deep, man. That's cool. Uh, I can tell you, you know, as you know, someone who grew up, you know, reading the books. That, that core trio you just meant there, it did seem as if they were the drivers of the plot. Okay, yeah, sure, we'd, we'd have an adventure in Trucial Abysmia, but uh, but 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 it would be it would be it would be that Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, Scarlet trilogy, um, you know, and then and then all the people associated with them as well. Well, that's the, they're the ethical and moral and uh, emotional mm. core, right, um, of, of the storyline. And it's interesting because Ming, you picked Storm Shadow. Yes. And and you were doing it based off the toy, which was that toy was was super dope. It still is. And 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 <laughs> I mean, still commanding high prices. Came with all those dope accessories yeah. as well, as you said. But that at that time, you know, we had no idea of the face turn, you know, that Storm Shadow would undergo. Where you know we find out he's a deep cover operative with uh, with Cobra, trying to find out, you know, you know who had killed. Uh, you know his master, and uh, and then of course we would uncover the long term relationship between him and 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 uh, Snake Eyes. So uh, so that's Larry's, and so I guess we should just shut it down right now. But uh, <laughs> but, but, but we, and the listeners out there, you're all wrong. <laughs> if you didn't pick those three. Well, I'll put it this way: they got one out of three right. Okay, because we're gonna get to the to the to the uh, oh. The, they got two out of three right. Okay, so uh, both were still coming in. <laughs> so, 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 here's what we did for for this version of top three. We put it out there, you know, on Facebook, the point blank page. It's on my page as well, and then we shared it out to a bunch of different online GI Joe groups, uh, just hoping that we'd get you know some response. Um, we were not prepared, ladies and gentlemen, because for what could have been perceived as a somewhat niche vote, uh, we shattered all previous records wow. of voting. Uh, I, 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 we put this out in a dozen different Facebook groups around GI Joe. Some are some are called like GI Joe, a real American hero, so it's based on that you know that early toy and comic line. Some are are just you know. Co- you know, figure training pages, and there's like posts that very explicitly say you can only list pictures of figures that are for purchase or trade. But no one took this post down. They let them stay up, and everyone voted on them. Wow. So this was very good. So 
Lots of characters got votes. Some some people tried to play the Todd game and they said Flint and Lady J. Okay. <laughs> you know. Mine were at least twins. Okay. <laughs> Law and Order. No, that's okay. But, uh, but actually, 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 Mutt and Junkyard got a solid double digit vote. They, okay. got, a, they got 11 votes. So that's, that's pretty good. People, yeah. people like Mutt and Junkyard, presumably. But. Um, <laughs> But uh, but as you start to creep into the top ten, you're seeing some names you know. Okay, so Roadblock is going to be there, um, and uh, and then and there and there's a certain element that's going to be voting for uh, the Baroness as well. So here's the thing: our top three n- coming in at number three, with many of the people who voted for him citing his initial toy design, Cobra Commander. Okay, Cobra Commander. Well, it was very simple and very, yeah. very. It's iconic, you know. Yeah, and he's yeah. had a lot of redesigns. You had the hooded version, you had the armored version, but that that initial design, I guess that was Ron Rudat that did mm-hmm. that. Uh, so uh, very sleek with that, you know, that mm-hmm. that, that that mirrored mask. And uh, you know, Todd said, you know, the diva of uh, of right. terrorist village. Uh, I think his origins, Larry. Did he start out as a used car salesman? Uh, you know, before uh, before putting these these groups of. Uh, of uh, of of people that had fallen by the wayside together. As... I think he was also selling cleaning products. Oh, of course. Well, there you go. <laughs> Vitamins. I uh, tried it all. <laughs> it, maybe it was an Amway salesman too. We don't know. I, I didn't want to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying it was Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but so Cobra Commander came in at number three. Number two, someone again we've spoken about pretty extensively, and that is Storm Shadow. So, so two of the top three G.I. Joe characters that were were voted by the fans are villains, and so that's a testament. You know, well, Storm Shadow again a complex backstory, but for 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 many, there's still my strong set of villains. Exactly, exactly. Do you count Rob McCutcheon's vote one time or three times? So Rob, <laughs> Rob, Rob voted three times, but uh, but then then if that were the case, the person who's number one. We would have to count many multiple votes for him because Snake Eyes won this in a landslide, okay? With 67 votes, okay? So, so to put it into context, number two, Storm Shadow was at about 40, 42 votes. So it's not quite, uh, you know, one and a half times, but it, it's about 50% more votes. 67 votes, Snake Eyes ran away Solid with this. And, and And I think we kind of knew this was going to happen. Matter of fact... Um, uh, I think it was our, our old high school classmate, Diami Bryant, who wrote, okay, really, John, this is your top three? You should just say it's Snake Eyes and who are the other two? So, uh, so, <laughs> so come on. So, come on. But listen, as, as it turned out to be uh, very prophetic, and so uh, it's actually on that note that we'll segue into our next segment, which is we're going to talk with our, with our guest, Larry Hama. Um, you know, Larry, obviously – if people are watching, they probably have a good idea of some of your background. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the GI Joe so far, but but that's that's not even remotely everything you've done. You know, I've said before on the air. You know, I think you're you're probably the definitive or one of two of the definitive Wolverine writers, in my opinion, uh, helping you develop his character and unlock uh, pieces of his memories that he had forgotten, uh, introducing some very, very important characters along the way that have been well, gone on to be portrayed on screen. Uh, and, and, you know, so to your point earlier about seeing some of your creations appear on screen, I think Will I Am did a good job as John Wraith, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> Might have been the best part of that movie. But, well, um, you know, he's... Uh... You know, I based 
uh, John Wraith on uh, on a friend of mine, uh, Ed Davis. Okay. Um, Because I had originally based Stalker on on Ed Davis, because Ed Davis had been a LERP. So he's probably a cool cat, too. Ed, he'd been a warlord of a large gang. Okay. And um, he had one eye. He he lost an eye in, in Vietnam. He was the only artist that ever showed up at Continuity that Neil Adams said, this guy can draw better than me. Wow. High praise. That's a cold statement from from, uh, from Neil. Yeah. Yeah. He he was, uh, you know, he he got out of the army and he didn't know what to do. He, He, all he had was these two sketchbooks that he did in Vietnam. So he went up to Marvel and um, showed them to Virginia Romita, mm-hmm. who was a very nice lady, but uh, she was the person that reviewed portfolios. And, and for those that know, no, she was related to whom? Uh, she was John Romita's <laughs> wife. There you go. Or is John Romita's wife. Art director. And, and um, uh, you know, to, to her eye, you know, if it didn't look like Johnny Romita, <laughs> no. it wasn't very good. Uh, and, and she said, no, this is not Marvel type mm. stuff. Uh, so she said, well, you know, you should take this stuff over to Neil Adams and show it to him. You know, so, uh, over continuity. Yeah. So he comes over with these two sketchbooks. And uh, so he's wearing a white shirt, no tie, a Savile Row suit. Wow. A cowboy hat <laughs> and Tony Lama boots. Oh my gosh! So that's that's the well. There you go. You said that, it right there. That's the uh, yeah. That's the will I am costume. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, Neil looks at this stuff, and he's like, not saying anything, you know. And meanwhile, Howard Chaykin is sitting there. In the corner at Dick Giannano's table with his feet up on the desk. And, he, you know, Fawford and the Gray Mauser had just come yeah. out. And he's just like gloating, you know, <laughs> and basking. Mm. And Neil, like, goes through these sketchbooks. And he just sort of smiles and he gets up. And he walks over to Howard and goes, Take a look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and Howard, you know, with his feet still up, you got the senses of new number one down. <laughs> yeah. You know, and his jaw is dropping. You know, and he's he he gets up and he says, "Who the f did this?" <laughs> wow. And you know. And the thing was that they hit it off, you know, and they eventually had a studio together doing advertising work. They they became good buds. Um, But uh, a lot of these characters, you know, uh, pretty much most of them are based on people I knew. Okay. You know, that's that's the way I could keep them consistent and anchoring uh, anchoring them. Yeah, I mean... Because there's lots of characters, you know, you see that, you know, every writer changes it, you know, and they just, it becomes very schizophrenic. Of course, yeah. You know, there's maybe, 
you know, ten characters in all of comic dumb that like nobody can. You, you can't do anything. Uh, you can't veer off what's there. Right. You know. Um, yeah. All too often, once a creative team changes, the right. first thing they're going to do is come in, maybe shake things up, take a character in a different right. direction. So. Uh, yeah. Kill well, off all the uh, supporting characters. That's right. It usually happens. Uh, yeah. But listen, that's one of the benefits, both from your incredibly long Wolverine run and your even longer G.I. Joe run, uh, which we'll like to think of as... Uh, yeah, both of which were... I, I got because nobody else wanted to do them. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I was the last person they asked to do the, the G.I. Joe stuff. Uh, Everyone else had turned it down. Everybody else turned it down. Because it was a licensed property? Yeah. Well, you know, you see, in those days, the license books paid the least because the licensing fee came off the top of the page rate. Right. Right. And uh, everybody told me, if you do a licensing book, you're you're a pariah. That's, uh, you're like D-list. Right. You know, because uh, nobody else would do those things and then the dealers people would just hack it out (laughs) (laughs) so you know the the license books were always sort of crappy you know but but wouldn't you say though in the gi joe case it it was a little bit different than your normal license property in that there was almost almost a co-development aspect between you know what was going on between you and Hasbro. Yeah, but that the, but nobody knew that when they uh, offered. You know, right. They offered it to all the the the, the um, uh, contract writers, mm-hmm. and then they offered it to all the non-contract writers, and they all turned it down. And then Jim Shooter went to every editorial office, and he asked every editor and every assistant editor, and <laughs> oh you my know, gosh, the kid that went off a coffee, and then everybody. <laughs> we were next, Todd. It was going to get to us eventually. Yeah, yeah. everybody no, turned it literally. You know. And I was literally the last office in the row, you know, way at, you know, at, yeah. at, at the end of the row. And, like, I've been trying to get writing work for ages from Marvel, and nobody, no editor would give me writing work. Mm. Um, in fact, I had dispensation from Jim Shooter to write for other companies, even as I was working as an editor at Marvel. On the payroll for the company, yeah. given 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 dispensation to freelance elsewhere. Right, because I, I, I was able to prove that I'd gone to every single editor yeah. and, and nobody would give me work. So the first writing work I actually got was um, from Wheezy. Um, Louis Simonson. Simonson. Yeah, who was Wheezy Jones at the time, right. um, who was an editor at uh, Warren. So I, I, I was writing a, a, a Samurai series for Erie. And, um, you know, uh, so I, I, I leaped at the chance to, you know, do a monthly book. Um, you know, and I've said a, a, a hundred times, if it had been Barbie, I would have taken a Barbie, you know. Uh, well, let's all be thankful that it wasn't yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Barbie. Thank you. Yeah. No, you do not know. Uh, Ken would be come. so much cooler. What might have come from? I that. would have written the hell out of Barbie. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. But uh, so even after GI Joe was 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 very successful, um, you know, I, I went back and I said, uh, so uh, you know, how about some. Some other writing work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
and they all said, oh, no, this G.I. Joe stuff is a fluke, you know. Right. A, but then Wolverine um, was on the ropes, you know. It, it, the sales were way down. Right. They were actually considering canceling wow. the, the, the book. Um Meanwhile, you know, to, meanwhile it, today he's on every team. Yeah, the yeah. the the plot line had deteriorated to the point where he was like, you know, uh, an alcoholic in Madripoor mm-hmm. or something yeah. like you know, hanging out in this bar, just being morose or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took it over at issue thirty-one or something, thirty-two. Uh, you know, they gave it to me as a sop because it was going to be. They thought it was. You would just play out the string. They thought it was dead in the water. So because of that, they didn't. They didn't ride me. They didn't. They didn't. You know. um, They give you a little more rain uh, to do what you want. They just let me do what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) So and and what artist doesn't want that? So after about a year and a half, it's now like the number two selling book. You know. And uh, I said, uh, well, gee, you know, uh, you know G.I. Joe was number one. <laughs> Wolverine was like number two. What else do I, I mean, have to do? Exactly. Yeah. And, and they said, oh, well, you know, Wolverine is not really, you know, he's sort of out of the, you know, he's not a mainstream. This is a fluke. Uh, right? another. So, That's two flukes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I, uh, uh, you know, I was like two flukes. And uh, so I was never at Marvel offered an A-list book while it was an A-list book. Right, right. Yeah. You, t- um, you took what they offered you. The, the I, took, I took what they offered me. Yeah. Uh, and, and turned it into and they, and they and, and they were absolutely right. You know, when they, when they told me that if, if I took a, a, a licensed book, uh, I would never get uh, be offered an A-list book. Because I have a, I have a question coming from our from our audience here. We've got a lot of people tuning in right now. Mm-hmm. This is from Mark Walters, and he, he is talking about those early days on the GI Joe comic. And what he wants to know is, what was it like when you were working with Herb Trimpey? How was how how was the relationship? What were the early days collaborating on the book like? Well, you know, I I was we were friends. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew from before. Exactly, we, you knew from. Yeah, we we played on the the Marvel softball team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I knew him, I knew his family, I knew you know knew his wife and kids, and um, so and uh, so I knew his, you know, what he was into. So I just made sure that you know there was always airplanes in the story because <laughs> uh, you know he just loved planes. You know, he oh wow! Had, he, okay. had, he had a Stearman biplane. That, that he flew himself. Um, he was a licensed pilot. Well, um, lots of opportunities to incorporate planes into uh, into the issues. Well, that's age. what you know. I would always ask every artist, um, "What do you like to draw?" You know, and whatever it was, I gave them tons of it. You yeah. know, uh, because you know, I I was coming from it from from their side of the street. Right. You know, and and I remember. Uh, exactly what I hated about scripts that I was given. <laughs> I tried to avoid it. You know, like, I totally avoided having, you know, pages in a row of people sitting around in rooms uh, yeah, uh, explaining 
what was going on right. in dialogue. Show don't show don't tell. Yeah, I figured if it, if people were going to explain something, they they had better damn well do it while they were punching each other or <laughs> or ducking grenades or something or jumping out of airplanes, um, you know. And uh, I I hated captions, so I tried to avoid them. Totally. So I remember I, 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 I was the first book I, I drew for Marvel was Iron Fist, and I remember I'd spent all day once drawing this incredible background of the Himalayas with the sun, sun beams of sunlight coming through clouds and <laughs> all this great stuff. And um, was it with the, the hidden city of Kunlun? Yeah, uh, and and. The, the the scripter put in something like nine captions, you know, that all they did was describe the images that they were covered that they covered up. Oh, <laughs> with all the captions. Yeah, you know, as the ambit lays of uh, rays of sunlight stream through the you know purple clouds, you know, but you know you the images weren't there anymore because they were them. covered by the captions. Well, listen, I, I want to take you for a second. To a different phase of your career, okay? A little bit earlier phase of your career. Our very did own I Ma- answer that guy's question? Oh, you did. He's very happy. <laughs> okay. he, he, and, and he actually, he came back and said, yes, he goes, Herb adored planes. So I guess uh, right. that's pretty pretty well known. So uh, that's from Mark Walters. So so our very own Mike Zapsik here recently bought a collection. And in that collection, it was a DC collection. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, very intrigued to find it here. Mike, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Uh, this was I don't know if you remember these the 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 profiles that DC did they came around no excellent well then this is going to be as new to you learning Larry experience for you this is, is your life um, yes this is in the back of Action Comics number four seventy nine yeah. four seventy eight I think um, it's come on Mike get it right yeah exactly <laughs> essentially this is them. They said they they spoke with Larry Hama and here he is and in introducing <laughs> you said. to the the comic book world, which is actually kind of cool. And uh, I mean, it gives you. I personally, I would use this as my resume. What year was this? This was in nineteen seventy six or oh, 77. 76. Seventy must be seventy seven. Yes, because I that's when I, I I was an editor there in seventy seven. Okay, yes. So uh, Larry comes to DC Comics. As an editor with rather rather strange credentials, <laughs> which, hey, with an opening like that, right. you can only go up. So um, you're an accomplished actor, according to this. We knew this. I knew this before. <laughs> um, New York School High School of Art and Design. Two comic fans named Ralph Reese and Frank Bruner. Yeah. Uh, Frank Bruner, who would go on right. to do the Defenders and Doctor Strange. But you know about art and design, though. Of course, it's um, it's a comic me. book central. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yes, I mean everybody: mm-hmm. uh, Neil Adams, Dick Giordano, mm-hmm. Alex Toth, Gil Kane, Michael Davis. Um, you know the list of comic book alumni. Ooh, quite a yeah, quite a distinguished list of, uh, of alumni. Like, there, it's over fifty. Yeah. Now, Mike, you mentioned in in reading this, they they mentioned DC did yes Larry's acting career yes. Um, we're gonna get right back to this. Just give a little detour here. The lovely Suzanne just t- tuned in, and 
uh, that's my wife, and she's very into Sondheim. Um, I, I'm not sure that she's aware that uh, you know who we're billing here as 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 you know the co-creator of GI Joe and this long and storied Marvel and and and, and DC career as an editor. Mm-hmm. That that you also have a Sign Sondheim connection. And could you just tell us very briefly, or or as much as you would like, I shouldn't, shouldn't put the cap on it. Tell us about that, and and, and with that year or so of your life. Well, I was uh, in a Sondheim musical called uh, Pacific Overtures. Pacific Overtures. Um, okay. And, uh, I was basically most of the bad guys. <laughs> Plural. Um, yeah. um, including Lieutenant Williams of the United States Navy. Okay. Which I, uh, oddly, I was I was in white face. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Uh, there are no pictures with, of that, right? <laughs> with, with Could a, come with, back to hurt your career. Yeah, with a, with a, you know a red beard and a red wig and um, you know, uh, but oh, I, I think I've only, seen those that picture of the, yeah 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 it, it was uh, a. And that was an original uh, production at that time, right? So you're part of that original Broadway I was, cast. I was the, uh, in the original Broadway cast. I did it uh, on the road uh, uh, in previews in Boston and at the Kennedy Center. Okay. We did the run on Broadway at the Winter Garden. And then when that closed, we took it to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in L.A. And then from then, we took it to the state in San Francisco. Wow. So it was, a, nice. it was like years worth of work. You know, eight shows a week, um, but uh, a great time in my life. I, you know, I really loved it. You know, there's there's nothing like in a live theater. Did you, you get know, direction? Get that, get that feedback. Did you? Were you getting direction from Sondheim, or he just wrote the book, or? Well, no, he's not the director. He okay. he was the yeah. uh, composer. He, he, he was the composer. Uh, okay. The director was Hal Prince. Who, oh, who, who Hal just, Prince, who, who just passed away. Mentioned on this program three episodes ago, uh, as having unfortunately passed away. Yeah, and uh, wow, you were directed by Hal Prince. Okay, Hal Prince, uh, and uh, the musical director was Paul Gemignani, who, who was conductor on Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods and mm-hmm. all the Sondheim stuff. And, um, you know, it was, it was very strange because I, I didn't know who Sondheim was. Because <laughs> you hadn't come in as an actor before that. Um, Not well, with the, extensive the, the experience. First, the first acting job I got was maybe a year before that. I, I was in, in uh, an elevator in my building. Uh, the same elevator I, I, yeah, I met Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> the elevator with the not great light. Yeah. And uh, the, there was a woman in the elevator, and she turned to me, and she said, uh, well, I had hair down to my waist. Okay. And she said, uh, are you an actor? And I said, no. That's great. And she said, do you want to be one? Uh, <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, she was a producer, and she was casting this off-Broadway production of um, uh, Moby Dick at the South Street Seaport. Okay. That's uh, way off Broadway. And she needed uh, (laughs) one more harpooner. You know, she says, I got this great guy to be Dagu, the uh, the African American harpooner. Sounds a little porno-ish, <laughs> if what, you don't mind me you're saying. Sure, this didn't take place in her apartment, or <laughs> <laughs> no? And uh, so uh, I read for the part, and I got it. I was uh, 
uh, Tashtego, uh, mm, who's, yeah. a, who's a, I guess a Northwest Indian. Like an Inuit or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and um, the, the other harpooner was um, Steve James, who went on to be a, a, an action star. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I did that. Somebody saw me in that, and I got another job. And then, like, the third or fourth thing that I got was I, I got a call from um, casting director um, at uh, Hal Prince's office. And, uh, and I was working at Continuity, you know, on, 50, mm -hmm. on 48th Street and 5th Avenue. And uh, she said, well, you know, we'd like to have you come and read for this, uh, this show. And I said, well, you know, it's a, it's a musical comedy? You know? <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I said, well, I, I neither sing nor dance. <laughs> You're hired. Pack up your pencil and your harpoon. You put it out there, right? You, you can't be accused of hiding anything. And, and she was insistent. She said, well, we still want to, you know, have, have you come up. You know, we're on our last day of casting. We haven't got the, the villains, you know. And uh, I, I said, no, nah, well, you know, I... I don't I, this doesn't sound like for me and, she, and finally she said look you know your phone number is has got the same beginning three digits as ours you know where are you and i said 48th street and fifth she says we're, we're in rockefeller center we're a block and a half away from you <laughs> so if you come over right now you know Timing is it everything. won't take more than <laughs> 10 minutes you know no skin off your teeth i said okay just then, Neil Adams asked, hey, Larry, go get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> Neil, I'll be back in 45 minutes. <laughs> Life was never the same. So, 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 so I went over there and, you know. Did you have to take a leave from continuity for that year? I, I wasn't. I mean, you did eight shows. I wasn't, I wasn't employed at continuity. I was, I was freelancing. Rent, I was renting a, 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 oh, okay. a, a table for yeah, yeah, fifty dollars yeah. a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the coffee I could drink. And uh, so they, they said, "Oh well, we want to see you in the theater tomorrow." You know, so come come to the you know the Winter Garden, and um, with a song, and. A song. So I, you know, I, I brought my, I had a Gibson uh, ES two thirty five. It was a, a summer hollow body guitar, and a pig nose amp. So I bring my Gibson and my pig nose, and I get there, and there's three guys ahead of me, and you know, the and the first guy does like, try to remember the kind of September. <laughs> the second one does, the impossible dream, and. Uh, the third one, uh, you know, they call the wind Mariah or something, you know. And yeah. It gets to me, and like I'm like, okay, and I play in my app, and I and I give him the first verse of uh, uh, Bob Dylan's "Just Like a Woman." Oh my gosh! Because yeah. because I knew a little fancy guitar riff for it, and they're like. <laughs> well, they hadn't seen that before. No, they no. hadn't seen that before. You know, and. And they, they they stopped me, you know. And Sondheim, you know, and sitting there is Hal Prince, Steve Sondheim, and Paul Gemignani, wow. and and John Weidman, the uh, yeah. the the writer. And uh, actually, I I'd known Weidman from before from working in National Lampoon. Um, and Sondheim says, uh, "Look, uh, 
Just give us one more verse, and this time, don't imitate Bob Dylan. And I said, I'm not imitating Bob Dylan. This is the way I sing. <laughs> and, and Hal Prince said, oh, at least he seems musical. You know, can, can you read music? And I said, I can sight read for E-flat alto saxophone. At which point, Paul Cebignani goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I leave thinking, oh, well, I really blew that one. And uh, the next morning they call and say, well, can you come, come to the office and sign the contract? <laughs> wow, wow. And so Neil says, what do you really want to do this? You know, I mean, you're, you're giving up a, a nice career here. Yeah, you're giving, you're not going to be giving me 50 bucks a month. That's hot for a table. 600 bucks a year. Yeah, come on, buddy. I got right. rent to pay. Exactly. So, um, oh, man. I, I thought, oh, okay. So it's, uh, they just want a spear carrier or something, you know. I, so I go there and I and, and they, they they give me this contract and it's an equity principles contract, you know. So right. I said, "Oh," so I signed it, <laughs> as one does, and um, that occupied me for the rest of um, for the next year. But you know, when I went back and I talked to Neil, I said, "I don't know what I just you know, I don't know how to do any of this stuff," you know. And Neil said. Don't tell them that. You know, it was one of the best pieces of advice Neil gave me. He says, like, no matter what it is, don't admit that you don't know how to do it. <laughs> Just say, oh, okay. And then figure out how yeah, to do figure it. it out. Yeah, you know, figure we, it out. It's something we, we also spoke about here. So, Nikolai uh, Coster Waldo, he just finished up uh, his eight year run on Game of Thrones as Jamie Lannister. Mm -hmm. And he said, when he was auditioning for the role, uh, which would become his career defining role thus far, um, they said, okay, and just to make sure, you know, you can ride horses and, and you're good with swordplay. He's like, absolutely. <laughs> right. He said, I had no idea how to ride a horse or use a sword. And, and he goes, my agent told me, say yes, get the job first. Right. Then you can go and learn how to do that stuff. Exactly. That's, there's a, a story, Mark Metcalf, who played Douglas Niedermeyer oh, yeah. in Animal House. Yeah. And they're like, we, we want this ROTC guy yeah. and you have the look of it. And you know how to ride a horse? He's like, of course I do. <laughs> and he's like, some, he's like, somebody get me riding lessons. So, someone asks you if you're a god. Sure, you, you say, say yes. yes. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And the first day of rehearsal, you know, you summed uh, it up. They're, they're, they're putting that. the opening number on its feet, and it's Patricia uh, Birch, who like Corey. You know, she was in the original. West Side Story, and she, you know, chore she was the chore choreographer in Greece, uh, tons of stuff. And uh, so, okay, we're putting together the the opening number, you know. And she looks at it, you know. There's thirty five of us, and she points to two acrobatic dancers and me, and she says, "Okay, you three guys are the same height." <laughs> So. And the same dancing ability. Yeah. <laughs> See so, what you got. So uh, when the curtain goes up, you know, you're going to be in this little tight group. And you're going to have to carry it as I feed in the whole rest of the cast, you know, by twos or threes or whatever. And so we have, 
you know, the whole cast on stage and in this like triangle formation. And uh, I was like, holy smoke. I mean, <laughs> and I'm like, starting to raise my head like this. And the guy next to me says, what are you, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to tell her that I, I'm, you know, I'm not a dancer, you know. And this guy looks at me and says, don't worry, just do what we do. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> yeah, in that, in that, there's that weird split second where you, where it seems logical. <laughs> of course, uh, just tell me five seconds before what you're gonna do, and, right. and I'll follow I'll you. That. Then I'm yeah. gonna do that, and yeah, that's right. And then they did a double backflip. Yeah. Well, no, but it was. Uh, so she starts to choreograph it. Of course, it's in choreography talk. You know, it's like, oh, I want the three fours here, and then the, you know, uh, second position, third position. You know, right. it's all right. yep. dance lingo. <laughs> I'm like, what? What was the middle thing again? <laughs> <laughs> and these two guys are going, don't, don't, just do what we're doing, you know. And so I muddled through it. I would have to go home every night and spend hours just trying to like get it down you know um but you know i muddled through yeah for a year you figured it out see that's yeah. awesome and to be a, a piano teacher you just have to be one lesson ahead of the student <laughs> exactly right. and that's you know when, when, and then when they they put this they started putting the songs on their feet you know i mean my vocal range is about three notes in the, low, <laughs> the lower register and so I'm just like holding back, you know, and Paul Gemignani, who's got an ear like a trip hammer, pulls me aside, you know, he says, hey, Hama, you're not, you're not putting out. Why, not, why aren't you putting out? I says, well, I can't do it. I, this is my range, you know. And he goes, look, I got 35, 35 guys here, you know, 31 of them are tenors. <laughs> I got you and these two other guys in the lower register. And if I don't get you, right, all of you belting it out, I got no chords. It's not going to work. Right. So he takes out the score and he takes out this red marker. He like crosses off everything above the last two lines of the staff. And he says, you know... When we're doing all this stuff up here, you just flap your lips. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> but when we get down to here, you hit it as loud as you can. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is that, and I'll be happy. And I, I ended up sharing a dressing room with him for the entire rest of the run. Wow. And, uh, you know, we got to be pretty friendly. So. How friendly, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> Larry started to put out. So there you are. Larry, what do I have to do to get you to put out? <laughs> That's it. Uh, my, I don't know if we can get back to uh, to the DC image that we had, but yes. I, I, I guess... And it, also said you were in MASH. There you go. Yeah. Well, That's MASH we was... Uh, that came about because I was doing Pacific Overtures at the Dorothy Chandler in, in, in L.A., and somebody said, "Oh, you know, there's this, there's this uh, agent that handles all these Asian actors. You should go 
talk to this guy. They call him the Asian agent. Yeah. Guy yeah. Lee. I think his name was Guy Lee. And um, so I, you know, I went to see him and he said, oh, I'll send you up for MASH, you know. <laughs> so I go over in Redford, you know, this thing on MASH, and, I, you know, I got it, you know. The, it was a, another bad guy. I never, I never played anything but a bad guy in my entire. But you're still getting paid for that one. Yep. Um, I guess th- there weren't all that many Asian actors around that looked like they could kick a door down or something. <laughs> Very uh, few. Yeah. Guy so, Lee listed in the L.A. Times, by the way, in 1993 as an agent and promoter of Asian American actors such as John Lone and B. D. Wong. Right. Oh wow. Where's Larry Hellman? <laughs> I mean, you gotta get me. He needs an edit. You know, well, I need to edit it right now. Well, John Lone was an was yeah. a supernumerary in the the L.A. production of uh, Pacific Overtures. He was one of the sailors on the boat, standing there holding a, a rifle. There you go. It sounds like Guy Lee did a good job for him as well. Yeah. Um, so now, 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 what did what did Larry do when he was over at DC? Mike, does it say over there? Yes, it said that uh, Larry had his work cut out for him, and, and I'm sure you did. But um, <laughs> you were editing such series as Wonder Woman, Mr. Miracle, and Jonah Hex. Right. Now, um, Wonder Woman, being one of the Trinity at that time was a very low-selling book. Right. Unfortunately, because they kept flip-flopping back and forth in between uh, Earth-1 Wonder Woman and Earth-2 Wonder Woman. Earth-2 being the designation of the Wonder Woman who had her start back in the 40s. JSA days, yes. Um, As their secretary. Right, got it. Mr. Miracle, after Kirby left, had a phenomenal run with uh, Marshall Rogers taking over the artistic chores. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was... Uh, Steve Englehart doing the uh, Engelhart, the writing. Englehart wrote it. Right. Um, that was also Michael Golden's start. Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Golden came in uh, came into my office. Um, what it was, Vinnie Coletta, anchor uh, extraordinaire, was yeah. the uh, art director at, at Very DC. Very prolific. And uh, one day, I'm sitting there. You know, uh, in, in my office at the Rockefeller Center at DC, and Vinny comes in, and he looks up and down the hall, and he closes the door and he locks it. You know, I'm going, oh god. <laughs> he said, "I heard you put out." Let's <laughs> <laughs> you know, be roomies. And he comes over and he and he says, uh, "Listen, kid, uh, I want you to do me a favor." And I'm thinking. I'd rather he owe me a favor than me owe him a favor. (laughs) And he says, there's this kid that goes to my wife's church. Wow. Oh, God. Where is this going? (laughs) This could could be one of those really bad stories. You can see a bad turn coming. That's a a line that no editor wants to hear. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, oh. Just tell him to come in on Monday. You know, Monday, this guy walks in, a little blonde guy in a tan suit, you know, and he um, shows me his stuff, and I'm going, wow. This is great, you know. Why aren't you working, you know? He says, well, I showed it to these other editors here, and they, they said it was, like, too kitty, you know. It was the, the heads were too big, and it was too cartoony. 
And I said, wow, we, can, we have ways to fix that. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't want to let him out of the office without, without a job, you know. So I, I immediately got Al Milgram to give him a Batmite story. Oh, there you go. Yeah, right. Taking the Batman family. Yeah, of the, that. Uh, the, uh, uh, Batmite, yeah. Right. But it was in the Batman family. Yeah, yeah, the Batman yes. family. And uh, Mike has the issue. And then uh, I, I uh, um, dug up a Mr. Miracle script. And then I called Russ Heath and convinced Russ Heath to ink him. Wow. You know? And because I, I figured he could learn a lot by having Russ ink him. You know? And, and I think he took those pages home and studied every single line on them. You know? Um, and if you know that, you can see the Russ Heath influence, in, in, especially in the line and in how he handles the, uh, the, the, the delineation. Um, and, uh, but still, you know, uh, I couldn't get any of the other editors to give him work, you know. And finally, you know, Marvel started offering him the, the double his rate, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't get, you know, DC to give him a raise. So he, he went over to, uh, I guess, Micronauts. Micronauts. First. Yeah, yeah. Micronauts. Yep, yep. that's right. Yeah. And then I went to Star Wars and, mm -hmm. and, and everything else. He did the Avengers annual with right, right. The, the introduction of Rogue. So Yeah, and to this day, by the way, at New York Comic Con, in Artist Alley, you and he are usually uh, uh, in the same row, if not not too far from each other. I don't know if that's by design or request on your guys' part, or if uh, no, it's just totally by I don't know. Well, maybe alphabetical G and H that could work too. Uh, the, the way they assign those slots is is a mystery to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know. He, Golden was one of those guys that all every single artist looked at the stuff and was just blown away, you know. But a lot of the the fans would write in and say, eh, "That stuff is too cartoony," you know. One of my favorite things by Michael Golden, besides that free uh, poster that Marvel sent out to people, it was a "What If" cover. And Ming, uh, can you find this one for me, uh, Michael Golden? <laughs> what If cover. And this, to me, is it's the Avengers. What if the Avengers had, um, like, destroyed the, the Marvel Universe? Mm -hmm. And Michael uh, Gordon, yeah, what if Avengers... <laughs> you can just put what if Avengers... What if Avengers defeated everybody? Yes, what if the Avengers defeated <laughs> whoa, everybody? Whoa, whoa. Uh, yep. If you can pull it right, out. Todd. Uh, defeated every Todd is the... Wow, isn't he's that awesome? It. Well, he's using we'll two hands. Big. Ming only has there one. There we go. Yeah. There you go. Right there. That is... Michael Golden yeah. to and that's so perfect and I I love that image. But my favorite is the caption. Caution. This may not be the best story you've ever read. But with a cover like this, how bad could it be? Wow. wow. It's like so, wait up, wait up. Who was the editor for that? That's what I gotta know. That's pretty good. I wanna know who yeah, I wanna yeah. know who okayed that little cover blurb. 
You know what? This story might suck, but I'm giving you the cover. Uh, that would be Jim Shooter, everybody. Oh, oh no. Wait, 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 hold, hold on. Was he the center uh, no, for the... It was Tom DeFalco. Tom DeFalco. Ah, Two-Fisted Tom, of yes. course. Right. That's always... Well, you know, <laughs> it's interesting that the, the, that the design of that cover is very Jack Kirby. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's like 60s Kirby. You can see that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They've got the ring of defeated uh, heroes. And, and, the, and, the, and the white space is and, very Kirby. And look for, at Giant for, for Man's body language, like this positioning there, too. I can see exactly. He's almost on his knees. Mm, very mm. interesting. Um, you know, going from there, okay, it's reminding me of a, of a couple of different things. So. Besides editing at DC, and we were just talking about how you essentially discovered Michael Golden you know, with some assistance from uh, uh, Vince Coletta's wife's church. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> but but you, you got down to some editing work in Marvel as well, didn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, when I got imploded out of DC, <laughs> you know, Milgram went. Al Milgram, yep. you know, Al Milgram and I were hired on the same day and fired on the same day uh, at, at, DC, at DC. That's how bonds are made, yeah. And uh, so he goes over to to, um, to Marvel, and, and after a couple of weeks, he calls and says, you know, oh, come on over. The water's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? These guys aren't the demons that DC said they were. So uh, I go over there, and uh, I get... Crazy magazine. Oh yeah, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was like really my dream job, you know, to just be able to like pick up the phone every day and go crazy. Uh. <laughs> but, to, but to have your own satire and humor parody magazine to play with, and just given Kurt Blanche, you know, it was, it was great. Um, had a lot of fun. Um, got to use a lot of really terrific people. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, put out some some pretty crazy stuff. And that, <laughs> and that's the nature of that kind of book too, is where you're not locked into one creative team for for essentially long storylines. Yeah. Uh, it's because you know each issue is having a number of different things going on, different shorts, uh, stuff like that. You're able to to probably bring in Mazel all kinds talent. of talent. Right. Do, uh, do, who, who do you remember working with? Maybe that you're really fond of. Oh, I brought in all sorts of people. Uh, Outside of the Marvel, yep, you know, I I, I brought in Bobby London, uh -huh. uh, Mimi Pond, uh, Trina Robbins, wow. had uh, you know a really good great guy named Steve Meller who did the Kinetic Kids, and uh, he he was an actor though he he was in like Sleepless in Seattle and lots of other stuff. Um, Ned Sontag. I used a lot of underground guys. And um, I, I really tried to... Uh, Mary Wilshire, people like that. Um, uh, Gary Quapis. Uh, Ding deep. And, and I had Bob McLeod doing the movie parodies. Uh, so I was trying to, like, make it different than the previous crazy or cracked or, mm -hmm. or whatever and I was you know I, I did Fermetti's uh, of course which were a lot of fun um, and because we got 
And did you guys have? I, I would I, I would call a friend of mine who was like you know an agent for rock bands. I say, hey, who do you have that's hot? You know, and we get a rock band. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to be the, the, the central characters and, and whatever. Um, we built props. We. You know, How much during that time did you look at? What was going on across town at Mad, uh, or did you try to avoid it on purpose so that you could say, "Hey, listen, we're charting our own path here." We tried. We tried very hard to be the unmad. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you know, at, at one point I, I figured, "Hey, you know, like you know, more, uh, Mad does this movie parody in the same way." You know, like I, I don't like that. You know, so I, I, I uh, and, oh, Bob Camp, who mm-hmm. later yep, went on yep, to yep. do, you know, he, uh, he, he was one of my main guys. I gave him his first work there, and then I got him a job uh, in in the bullpen too, because mm-hmm. yep. um, I wanted him to learn how to ink, you know, the, the with, with a brush, the real way, and um, uh, you know, it, it was like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bob Camp. Yeah, well, Bob Camp uh, was such a natural, you know, that uh, uh, and and he and he could do like these really great wacky characters, you know. So I said, you know, with the with the movie parodies, instead of just doing one movie, let's make up these two two kids, these two teenagers, you know, who go to this multiplex and. You know, they go see uh, a movie in one theater, and and you know, and they're you know making uh, comments about the movie. That's how we do the parody. That's so you were Mystery Science, Science Theater, theater. three thousand before <laughs> Mystery Science. Oh yeah, you're oh, yeah. yeah. getting royalties right here. <laughs> for this right. Way before that, yeah. and you know, and then they would get they would get tired of the movie, and and they would like sneak out, sneak into the next. You know, multiplex. Yeah, and do it again. Yeah, and do, and do, so we we could do like three to five movies. Yeah. You know, in one, in one parody, and you know, Bob Camp was a really great caricature artist. So you know, he can really nail That's these. That's you uh, want for that role. Yeah, he can nail these uh, uh, likenesses. Well, listen, we've got another question from the audience here, and this comes from uh, from a great friend of the program, loyal viewer, Pat Kawula. And, and Pat, so I'll ask his question, and then we'll give a little context, and Larry will hear your answer. So he's saying, did Larry write the file card for the character Tunnel Rat? So, 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 so before we answer the question, uh, let's just, you know, you, you mentioned a little while ago that you like to base – uh, uh, you know, some of your comic characters, including G.I. Joe characters, but not limited to G.I. Joe and people you knew. Well, you know, they were doing that for the likenesses over at Hasbro, too, right? We mentioned Ron Rudat earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think pretty famously for for the fan uh, within the fan community, the character of Tunnel Rat, the explosive ordinance, uh, 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 you know, soldier, uh, was based in his in his physical appearance. Uh, none other than Mr. Larry Hama. So uh, since you wrote all the file cards, you know, I guess what Pat's really asking is, did you write your own file card here? Well, I wrote, yeah, but it's not about me. I'm right. not, I, yeah, first right. of all, I'm not Chinese. Right. You know, and, uh, or you know, in Trinidadian, uh, uh, Irish, Spanish, or Indian. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my, my friend Charlie Chin was Trinidadian Chinese. So, you know, uh, there you go. very common. So uh, I, 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 yes. I knew a little bit about the culture, you know, from him. So I figured, OK, I'll. So it's, it's basically an amalgam of like two or three ah. people. Mm. Um, but, you know, they when they did the sculpts for the heads, mm. they hired this sculptor uh, uh, in, from Brooklyn. Who was the guy that did the um, the doves on um, the credit cards? Uh, visa, visa, the visa. Yeah, remember the visa uh, within the, within the, the hologram, hologram, of course, yes, of, 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 yep. of a dove. Um, because holograms have to be sculpted the same size that they're reproduced as. You can't reduce the image. So th this was a guy who could. Do really precise sculptures at you know tiny, so they said, "Oh, this this would be great for this guy to do the the heads." So they they decided to like make the likenesses of of, of people at Hasbro. Yep, I yep. Think. So, um, you know, so they they sent them to the office at, at Marvel, and he takes Polaroids and. Does some sketches. Did he feel your face with his hands? I mean, <laughs> no, the guy who did forth. that was a sculptor at the um, Museum of Natural History when I, I modeled for the. <laughs> okay, the, of course you did. The, the Japanese head at the, at the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> and um, but um, but oh. the problem is that you know when you tr start to you know. The generations that things has to go through to to, to, yeah. to you know uh, in, in the in in the process of molding or whatever, mm -hmm. you know by the time you know it, it gets to the shelf, you know it's, it's like five generations or mm -hmm. something, and it's, it's, it it just looks like the same old lump of plastic. That looks like gen <laughs> generic Asian mask. That's what right. it is. Yeah. But why couldn't they give him uh, his hair down to his buttocks like you? <laughs> <laughs> looks a little like John Cho, don't you think? I do see that, John Joe. We could. So that's what a Trinidadian, Chinese, <laughs> Irish, Spanish. I, I don't Indian. think that's the uh, that's the original. Uh, uh, isn't that the? This is the reissue. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. That looks yeah. like that was more the, points uh, of articulation. That's the modern sculpt. Yeah, that's the modern sculpt. The the original sculpt. Uh, I don't know if it's. Let's take a look here. It's a little more combustious, Larry. Like, looks like a teddy bear. <laughs> oh, there you are. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's the original skull. Yeah. So a softer jaw. <laughs> the other guy yeah, looked he, a lot tougher. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that other guy was the real Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, before we uh, we we get into yeah. Oh, by the way, PJ PJ who recorded earlier tonight in the other studio. We'll call that studio two because we were here first. Uh, PJ recorded Essential Guy Talk over in Studio Two. Uh, says, "Whoa, Mo is in studio. Yeah. What happened?" Yeah. <laughs> so listen, uh, we, we should take a moment to acknowledge we, we we just skimmed over it at the outset. You know, we've got Todd, we've got Mo. You guys are both in studio at the same time. This is incredible. Full house, the same, the same plane. Ming, 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 it went from from L.A. It stopped in Chicago, picked up Todd. Yeah, brought you guys here. Landed at, at JFK, picked up Larry, and then brought you guys all here to the studio. Um, 
So we're very happy to have you both in studio at the same time and, and very happy to have you here when we have uh, uh, such a legend. So before we move into any other segments, Mo, we'll start with you. Uh, we do have Larry here. Were there any questions that you wanted to ask him about anything that we covered or anything that we didn't get a chance to cover so far? Well, it was interesting. Um, I, I watched a Netflix special. Toys of Mavis. And Larry makes an yeah. appearance there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 um, it was quite profound, actually, when when uh, you sat down with the creators of the uh, the, the GI Joe uh, 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 little actors, uh, little, little uh, action toys. figures. Yeah, action figures. Sorry, <laughs> little actors. I told you. I told you. Mickey I'm Rooney. Ha- I'm having a. They're called little people. I, I yeah, use on, ninety-eight like percent of of my of my brain cells. <laughs> we just budget together. So, okay. Uh, we're running on fumes. But so if I'm you sorry. guys are wondering, Point sorry. Blank has an unlimited budget. <laughs> but go, but go ahead, Mo, go ahead. So um, they actually weren't going to develop any any bad guys, right? And so and so, um, you know, were, were you shocked by that? Did you have already have a uh, you know start to have a list of, of you know how you wanted to develop? Uh, you know the, the well, you know, we didn't realize that until we were in some meeting with all these Marvel people and the Hasbro people and you know they, they showed us all the you know the, the ten figures you know, right. that, that they, they had drawings by Ryan Rudat they were black and white drawings and they were labeled uh, infantry mortar uh, intelligence commando you know whatever and that's all they had um, so grunt short for you, Scarlet yeah, and Snake Eyes. Yeah, Got it. Okay. And so, um, you know, we you looked at you know, the, the Marvel people looked at at this stuff, and we said, uh, "Well, um, we're the bad guys." Right. <laughs> and it was such a mess. Yeah, and the Hasbro <laughs> people said, "We don't have any bad guys," and I said, "Well." What are the Joes going to do? Just march? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, one of your quotes was, where, where were they just going to go up bivouac every week? <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> and so look, you, you got to have some antagonists here. And uh, Archie Goodwin was at the meeting, you know, and uh, Archie says, yeah, well, you know, let's come up with some sort of, you know, uh, paramilitary terrorist uh, organization you know i mean we got hydra at that shield yeah right um why don't we just call it something like cobra now did he come up with that right off the right <laughs> off the top of his head, head. No. he just really did. he just re- he wasn't even like well, really suggesting it he, he was right. just say something like cobra and then you guys said yeah that's it yes. and all the hasbro yeah. people Have went some. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, well we'll fill in the acronym later. But yeah, yeah let's call it Cobra. I love that. Wow. Nobody else caught it, but I did. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah. and that's um, and that, that was that, one that, that's how it happened. You know, and then when I put together the first issue, I realized, oh my God, none of the Cobras have faces. You know, Cobra Command had this you know yep. everybody was completely covered. And, you know, it's like, you know, in comics, you have no sound, so you need agents of expression. You know, you need characters going, you know, <laughs> um, expressing themselves through their faces. So I said, oh, how, how do I fix this? 
You know, so I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta make up a character, a Cobra character that Cobra Commander and everybody else can talk to who has a face and reacts. And I said, well, if I'm gonna do that, I, I might as well make it a hot babe, right? You know? <laughs> and put her in like some black leather outfit or something. Also, the she wolf. Yeah, basically, oh, and. Uh, um, Strong instinct. And, and Herb Trimpey went, right we, went over the top and with this, you know, whole outfit, you know, and uh, and we gotta have those glasses and the glasses, yeah. which was a, a brilliant move, I thought. And um, because originally, their uh, the toy company's feeling was that they were really reluctant to have any female figures, right? Because the, they, the, com, the the conventional wisdom being that boys are not going to buy action figures of girls because then they look like dolls. That's it. If it's if it's a guy, it's an action figure. If it's a girl, it's a doll. And no nine year old boy is going to get caught dead buying a doll. Right? And I said, well, you know, if you if you make this, if you really make, you know, I turn. <laughs> oh, I should have turned this off. Uh, Terrible podcast form, Joe. Yeah, Larry. sorry. Um, that if if you um, oh, you're saying uh, it, it, they were telling you Hasbro was saying well, we don't really think we should do that girl figure, but then right, here right. you have this Baroness and right, and uh, it, 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 I, you know, I, I thought well, okay, and then all of a sudden they, they were like, yeah, let's make the figure, you know. <laughs> and I think they did it as a as a mail away first. Yeah, originally. And you know, and when they they came up with the sculpt, they came, they they they, uh, they came down to Marvel and showed. They were like so proud of it. <laughs> now, would they hire wow. an actress or, or some sort of model? Would they hire some sort of actress or model so that they would say, "Okay, this is the inspiration for the for the toy"? Or it would no, just they come just off they the, just basically based it off of the the the, the, the Trimpy drawing. Yeah. Herb was good at and, 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 picking people and listen, out. Yeah. Mil- millions of uh, fanboys since then have been very thankful to you and Herb and, <laughs> yeah. and Hasbro for yeah. doing that. Because, <laughs> like, let, let's face it, you know, like the, they they got the sculpt really good on on because like if you compare her to like Scarlet, Scarlet look, just looked like a plastic lump, you know. Um, yeah, she she actually did. Yeah, uh, I've seen. You know, yeah, and where Baroness looked really hot. Mm-hmm. So, the Baroness de Cobre, right. and I, I've seen more Baroness cosplayers than almost anything else. Yeah. And you were just at a convention uh, recently, weren't you? Yeah, and that was down where Virginia, mm-hmm. and and so were there any uh, GI Joe cosplayers there? A few, yeah. Um, well, there's all these organizations, you know. Um, oh, sort of how the stormtroopers, the five yeah, like first, first right. yeah, 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 the yeah, rebel yeah. rebel yeah. legion. Sure. Yeah, there's a there's there's like a, at least half a dozen um, fairly large GI Joe cosplay groups. Okay, that dress up like Marlon Wayans. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, they, uh, but uh, but they love when they see there's, you. There's, there's a there's a there's a photograph from uh, Dragon Con of like yeah. uh, all all of the GI Joe cosplayers at Dragon Con on the steps. It's something like you know yeah. Hundred a hundred cosplayers, you know. There you are. 
Are we gonna find oh, Ming? Wow. Are we gonna find Ming in there? No, there's, no, no maybe that, that's that's not even the big one. Yeah, is that Ming as Tunnel Rat or <laughs> Ming as Tunnel Rat as Larry Hama? Is anyone in there? there we are. Oh no! Wow! Wow! <laughs> that's, well, that's a big no. That's but they, but, but these one. groups, Larry, they love when they run into you because oh, they yeah. love taking the picture, putting you right in the center there, usually between uh, you know Zorana and uh, Baroness. <laughs> right. I don't think you mind either. But, now, was uh, was the writing on the wall when uh, the fridge? Became a G.I. Joe. Made a jump in the shark. Yeah. I mean, see, Sergeant Slaughter, you were able to very, very seamlessly integrate him into the ongoing Can't adventures. Like, you know, I mean, his but, name is Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> but, but when it was William the Refrigerator Perry, it was a little more challenging. <laughs> I, I never did that. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, I just. Uh, I, I, you had to draw the line somewhere. I drew the line at Cobra Law. Oh, so that file card for the fridge was written by the uh, president of Hasbro's bookie, I guess. No, I, I think I actually wrote it. Oh, you it. had to write it? Yeah, okay. I, had, I, I wrote it, but, you know, the uh, I couldn't figure out a way to incorporate him into the storyline, you know. And, um, and I flat out refused the... To, to do um, the Cobra Law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus, this is like, you know. And then uh, uh, I really drew the line on the Dreadnoughts um, because... Now, how, how do you mean there? Because the Dreadnoughts were a big part of, uh, of your, 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 your time you know, in the comics. I mean, we all know about the grape soda and the that's, donuts. That's because I changed them from uh. what they wanted. Ah, because that was when uh, the second Star Wars movie came out, and uh, you know, otherwise known as Empire Strikes Back right, to right, those right. at home. Okay, so this is you know this is a toy company, and they're saying, well, you know, plush, you know, uh, furry stuff. Oh, like Ewoks, <laughs> yeah, right, so right. We want, right. we want our own Ewoks. Oh my know? gosh! So Return they, to the Jedi. So they had all these, they designed these like teddy bear type. <laughs> they were originally, they were called the Dreadnoughts. What? These, these fuzzy, hairy teddy bears. And I said, you can't have the good guys going around shooting these teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> this is some banana shit, man. Like, it's, it's, it's bad optics. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I said. They're killing Yogi Bear. I mean, off the top of my head, I said. And we, we should make them something like some nasty Australian bikers. Rednecks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bikers. Rednecks. And like every biker gang, they live in the swamp. But, all right. I think they reused that, the teddy bear idea for Thundercats. Oh, the uh, the 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 what were they the row bears the ro the robo burbles were they not right there. <laughs> Wow, we're breaking 40-year-old news here, but this is pretty great. Um, all right, listen, um, and again, we're looking at a, at, a, at a few other questions here from the audience. But before we do, Ming, we haven't heard from you. I know you're a big Joe head like me. Yes, we, we, yeah. we, we've recounted the tale before. You know, I watched the episode of Comic Book Men. 
called the USS Ming, uh, detailing <laughs> Ming's adventures of tracking down the uh, that 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 white whale, uh, if you will. The, not uh, not the whale, not the hovercraft, yeah, part, right, the not, white uh, whale, as right, in which is of course the USS Flag, and uh, and and Ming was able to successfully get it. And you know, some months later, I came into the store, the stash, and uh, it was on display, and I inquired with uh, who was who was on duty at the time, and it wasn't Mike, but. Um, it was that other guy, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and they said, "Well, listen, let's get Ming down here and see if we can make a deal." And so, so that very uh, flag is uh, residing at home, much to the lovely Suzanne Chagrin. Yeah, but I, I wanted to keep it, Larry, but I just have no room for this thing. It's seven feet long. I have no, I had no room for it. But uh, it was either was, that or the bed, <laughs> or so. as in that would have been my bed. That would have suspended yeah. from the ceiling. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> but listen, so we know you're a Joe guy too. Yeah, we got Larry here. What do you want to talk to him the, about? Um, you should have just made it into a coffee table. I should have. <laughs> I really. Enough. It's certainly big enough. <laughs> or a podcasting table. Yeah, I, I really should have. But That's uh, what we do, I, Studio Three. I was yes. lured in by uh, you know free Ross beer and uh, you know that kind of uh, lured me in. Uh, the other thing that uh, you know shaped my childhood, other than the uh, the toys. Was the cartoon? The cartoon was something I raised home from school mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, you know, many magical the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you had any input on on those episodes at all, um, or uh, I've never actually seen any of them. Really? Yeah. All right, that's uh, all right, that's. That's a, <laughs> so we, we there, there were some Marvel guys some that wrote some of those scripts. You had Marv Wolfman uh, doing some of those. Um, but uh, but that's interesting too that you just asked that I Ming mean, because yeah. one thing I noticed on the cartoon is they broke away from one of Larry's main things, which is they made Scarlet's love interest instead of Snake Eyes, they made it Duke. Yes, and maybe it's because Snake Eyes couldn't uh, emote properly uh, with a mask and not speaking, uh, so maybe they thought they would go a different direction there. But uh, but I think a, a lot of us you know rushed home. After there was no DVR back then. No, there was no <laughs> DVR. If you missed an episode, you missed yeah, that episode so forever. Yeah, yeah. and um, I, I think that was right as they changed the laws in the U.S. Where it's like, hey, you can you can do a half hour commercial, uh, you know, as a cartoon. But I thought the cartoons was <laughs> well, as long as you put a moral lesson at the end. Right. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. But uh, you know, that, that, don't drink paint. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the only reason the Marvel comic existed. Okay, was so that they could do commercials for the comic. Ah, okay. Okay, because the, on the network, the network rules were that you know if you had a toy commercial, you could only have something like five to seven seconds of animation. Right. And the rest of it had to be actual photography of the actual crappy toy. Right. <laughs> so you you couldn't be fooling the kid. So. You thought, how, how else but, could we fool this kid? But if you had a publication, right, that was protected by the First Amendment. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. You couldn't, you can't, you know, make rules limiting how to advertise sure. a publication. It's freedom <laughs> of speech. So you could do this kick-ass, violent, 30-second animated commercial with stuff blowing up and you know, lasers flying. Yeah. You know? And if it just happened to have all the toys that you actually wanted to sell that month, you know, <laughs> hey, you know. Yeah, you're okay. All, all the better. Um, but uh, that's how I ended up 
having to design um, the covers because you know they had to have they, they were doing four commercials and they had to do them in in advance. So the, so I had to design the four covers first because they you know they come spinning out. Yep. At, you know that was the stinger at the end at sure, the end of the at, animation. That that comic would cover would spin on and saying you know available yeah. soon or available now. Yeah. And as a kid, you know, who grew up reading comics and who loved the GI Joe toys, I remember it blowing my mind. I'm like, this is the only comic that has its own commercial. Right. How is this happening? <laughs> you know, so, but what I didn't realize is I was being marketed to to buy the toys. Yeah, it was a really a toy commercial. Yeah, right. And and the uh, so I had to come up with these the four way in advance. Before I had any idea what was going to be in the comic, mm. you know, because they would say, "Oh, we want." That's why there's covers with, you know, uh, things that don't really go together. You know, like uh, a hang glider and a ski mobile. Right. You know? <laughs> These are the toys we need you to sell this month, yeah, Larry. Right. So, I had, so whatever the toys was, I had to cram them all into the. It's same. a space shuttle and a submarine. Okay, make it work. Make it work. It's like okay, yes, sir. Yeah. So, um, but that led to to. Uh, it made me realize, hey, you know. Sometimes you you know you, you come up with a, a a good story and like there's nothing in it that makes a, a kick-ass cover, you know. But if I if if you design the cover first, every cover can, can be kick-ass, and then you just make the story match the cover. Yeah. And I thought that was easier, you know. So that's there you go. I just kept on doing that. I kept designing. I designed most of the covers for the the run of GI Joe. Then I started designing uh, the covers for all the books that I edited. So I did the covers for Savage Sword and Conan the Barbarian and and, uh, and all that stuff. And then other editors figured out uh, that, hey, you know, we have to have a cover sketch for every book because that's the rule. Hey, this, 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 it, has to be, it has to be approved by Jim Shooter before we can get the cover drawn. And... Uh, usually we had to send it out to some some artists, and they had to send it back by FedEx, you know. But Larry's just down the hall. <laughs> we can go down there and get him to do it. They paid fifty bucks a sketch. Wow! You know, but I could do two at lunch, and that's an extra five hundred a week. Hundred bucks? That's a nice lunch there. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Uh, I was just knocking out sketches for, you know, the uh, the other editors, um, mainly because I was there. Um, so I may have influenced what, you know, Marvel covers look like for a while. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Super cool. Listen, before we we, we, we get back, we're going to move into the final stage talk. You take us through the next two beers uh, that, that we actually did <laughs> well, drink we, here. We skipped over one here that was delightful. That, that I'm, saying, I'm saying, so what were the last two that we drank here? First, we've got – now, it's in script, so it's hard to read, but I believe that says <laughs> – uh, I think you got a Repta, microphone right there. You, yep. you have a microphone. Repta Rage. This is from Bonehook Brewing Company. That's Naples, Florida. That's in Naples, Florida, and uh, that is a golden age brew brew with pilsner and red malts. Holds a golden age or a golden ale, either way. Belgian French saison yeast blend, aged in California Bordeaux cast for nine months. This was 
Delightful. I yeah. really like this one. California Bordeaux casks. I gave it a sniff when it went by and had um, it was reminiscent. And that's not against the rules. I know. Okay, no, okay, okay. Are you it was, um, I don't have a glass. Do we have a tastefully looking Ross Brewing glass, maybe, for Larry? Find one, sir. Uh, reminiscent of um, champagne. It was it was oh. very. So, it, so, the, so it, it says it. Notes. It says it used it used a saison yeast on. That's right. Okay, so the, so the saison would be the Belgian farmhouse ales. Belgian French saison yeast blend. Okay, and well, so Belgian and French aged in Bordeaux casks for nine months. Okay, so maybe that's where Larry's getting some of those. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry. Okay, so, <laughs> like Joe. Well, it's all right. It's, it's four o'clock in the morning. Guys are going to. Uh... Say the alphabet backwards next. Yeah, I know. Just to prove Listen, the if you guys need rides home, we're yeah. calling up uh, <laughs> that's, Ubers. That's fine. All right, Todd, take us through that next one that we drank as well. And then we are uh, halfway into Road to Ruin. But it's it, Ruin. Ruin. It's a wild Franco-Belgian style IPA. Hey, this is oh, brewed and bottled by clean. two. Look at that glass. Two Roads Brewing Company in Stratford, Connecticut. John, where'd well, you actually, pick this one up? Do we have any more than the one from Naples, Florida? Negative. All right, so this, this oh boy. What is this? So this, I hope Larry likes this one. I hope so, too. Oh. oh. That's a mighty big head there. <laughs> That's, That's a Michael said. Golden head That's there. what she said. All right, all right. Let's give that a minute to settle down there. <laughs> While you set it up. Yeah. Where did you come across this one in Stratford, Connecticut? So yeah, so that I stopped at the Two Roads Brewery on my way back from uh, from Newport earlier this summer. We were up in Rhode Island, the lovely Suzanne and I. And on the way back, we stopped at Two Roads Brewing, and it is an immense, massive facility. Uh, they were only five or six years old. They've already grown to be the fiftieth, fiftieth, five zero, fiftieth largest brewery in America already. It, vastly impressive. They do a ton of contract brewing, including for breweries in state like Carton Brewing. They, they do contract brewing for them. And they've got a lot of their great beers going on. I have to say, of the three beers that we've uh, drank thus far, I'm not sure this one is my favorite. Uh, I really, really, really like the, uh, the the previous beer. I have to agree. Um, okay, so that's we're giving Larry the best one. Okay, that's that's good. Um, guys, why don't we get to the part of the show where we do our parting shots? Uh, well, here's how it works: parting shots. We're going to go around the table. Everyone, if there's anything on your mind, anything you'd like to say, get off your chest. Something you want to promote. You have something upcoming. Uh, uh, something that you wanted to get to, but you didn't get a chance to. There wasn't a segment for. Let's just do it a parting shot. Todd, why don't you start your parting shot? Well, I have to say that I cannot be happier about being here in person at the Shared Universe Podcast Studio. It's uh, it's it's delightful. It always feels good to be in this room. I soak it up. Uh, everything, everything around me, all the, you know, the uh, the collateral that you guys have lined up here is fantastic, <laughs> and I invite anyone to come and experience it for yourselves. So I also have to say that uh, for all the BS that the five of us come up with on a week to week basis, <laughs> it's nice to have someone that actually has something to say. And I really, I really enjoyed uh, listening to the stories that you had to tell us. Uh, Larry and I, and uh, thank you for for joining us tonight. I had a lot of fun. So, all right, Mike. I want to reiterate, Todd. Uh, thanks for coming down, Larry. We've spoken um, a few times on the con circuit. You're always a delight. Um, we've got uh, Ming. We've got October feast coming up. Correct? Yes, October twelfth. Uh, celebration of music and beer to benefit a charity called the Need We Feed. 
and uh, uh, Shared Universe is proudly sponsoring. We are proudly sponsoring. And where is event. that, Mike? Where, this where is we... going to be in Atlantic Islands at the Harbor Side. Yeah, Harbor Side Grill, Atlantic Islands. Harbor Side. Yes, nice. the Harbor Side. So uh, we'll be down there. Are they asking us to guest bartend? Uh, not guest bartend. We will have a podcast set up there. We will be we interviewing will. the bands playing there as well as anybody else. Fan- as well as anybody else. Uh, that means <laughs> we're going to be... <laughs> Doing it as well as anybody else. Exactly. So, okay. As yeah. well as anybody as else. As well as anybody else. Exactly. <laughs> All right. You're not getting it, but I love okay. it. In, in, addition, in addition to? In addition to. Or at the quality of. In addition to and at the level of. Oh, so in both, both ways. In both cases. Always. We're going. Always. <laughs> oh. Gotta love Ming. October Feast. Got it. October, October 12th. Cumberside, Atlantic Highlands. Yes. Come down and uh, podcast with us. Drink with uh, the Harborside and hang out with the bands. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, I, uh, Larry. Thank you so much for coming down. Uh, you know, thank you for shaping my childhood. When I was nine, I moved to a new neighborhood. Didn't know anybody there, and um, at the time, all the kids there were into He-Man. Mm. Now, big white Bastards. guy with a weird haircut and fuzzy underwear. <laughs> couldn't relate to him. What's, but wrong, in, what's wrong with that? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I just that's us right now. You just describe Todd right now. Yeah, that's, that's three out of the six people at this table. I'm missing the green tiger. But, uh, you know, as uh, you know, I was, you know, I was having a bad day. My mom took me to the toy store and uh, the, she was like, pick any toy out you want. I grabbed a Cobra His Tank, uh, brought wow. it to the other kids in the neighborhood. They're like, whoa, what's this? And slowly, I turned those kids from He-Man to to a GI Joe neighborhood. Yeah, and, and, uh, I thought that was going to take a dark turn. <laughs> turned those kids, uh, yeah. And um, soon, uh, you know, in South Bend, Indiana, we were a GI Joe neighborhood. Uh, we were. Uh, I wrecked my my parents' lawn by digging trenches and tunnels. Oh, that's awesome. And all that. But, so you uh, were a tunnel rat, okay? I oh. well, <laughs> in a matter of speaking, so, tunnel uh, rat. Yeah, and uh, you know, I still have a lot of those toys. Uh, they're in a box at my parents' house right now. So that awesome, was uh, pretty awesome. awesome. I'll take the whole lot. We can negotiate on. That. I no, I'm keeping those. You're not getting those. <laughs> okay. You can have the flag. All right, not keeping those. Uh, also, uh, this weekend I'll be in uh, Monroe, Michigan, at the Monroe Pop Fest, uh-huh. uh, one day show, September 14th. Uh, which is cool. I get to go home for a little bit too, so yeah. I'll be at my parents' house in uh, Ann Arbor. Uh, I may just grab those Joes and bring them back uh, and display them. I'm going to ask you to do that. Here. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Mo. Your parting shot, my friend, or should I say, the man in black? Yep. Uh, it was a it was a real pleasure meeting you, Larry, and uh, and hearing all the stories. Um, just really happy to be uh, back here on the East Coast and seeing you guys. It's always great seeing you guys. And uh, and for those of you out there who have great ideas about how to assemble a man cave, I'm actually putting one together at work. So, <laughs> so I, I see a lot I mean, of inspiration here. I mean, it's not quite the budget I have to work take with. It's not a man cave. Oh, it's that's a, right. Yeah, I, I, it's an androgynous space for all involved. Yes, yes. It's 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 all encompassing. It's it's uh, all gender. It's all gender. It's, nobody's non-binary. Whatever it's you, got a long name. Gathering space. <laughs> yeah. Sanctum. You can't call it a Sanctum. cave because that's it. That's offensive to those who would not like to go underground. But we understand what you're saying. Yeah. Non-binary sanctum. Oh, it's okay. Man. So you're putting one together right now. I am, and it'll be uh, it'll be up and running by the time we get to Movember. Now, wow! So can <laughs> we ask you? So yeah. can we ask you during Movember or or any time thereafter mm-hmm. when you're skyping in for the Point Blank podcast? I can do it from there. Okay, that we would yeah. love to see. 
from the cathedral. Larry, thank you for coming out. Did you have a parting shot? Anything you'd like to get off your chest? Um, well, I've had a great time here. It's just, uh, you guys are great. Uh, it's a great place. Um, and uh, you guys are really knowledgeable. You know the stuff better than I do. Um, to our detriment, yeah. I, 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 I will be at um, Capital City Con in Lansing on the 21st. Oh, Michigan again. Yeah. Michigan. Capital and then, City. Uh, October 5th, uh, October, th well, October 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, I'm at New York City Con. Of course, yep. At Javits Center. And then at Ace Comic Con in Michigan. Oh, back in, to uh, Michigan. On the 12th. And uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina on, on the 19th. If okay. it's still there. <laughs> so, so you've got a, you've got a busy next four weeks. That, that, that's, yeah. I think, four cons in five weeks you're doing. So yeah. very good. Uh, here's my parting shot, ladies and gentlemen. So I grew up in Staten Island, New York. I grew up in Staten Island, New York. My family lived in the town of Rosebank in Staten Island, adjacent to a town by the name of Fort Wadsworth. <laughs> oh, so now here I am. Oh. I'm a young boy. I'm growing up in Staten Island, New York, uh, spending my time in Rosebank, Fort Wadsworth, and a toy line comes out with an associated comic book. We've covered here many times how I discovered the comics in my grandmother's attic, my dad's treasure trove of comics from the 60s and 70s. Um, so I'm already predisposed to liking this. And now... Here's this team, an elite strike force put together from all of the branches of the armed services, and their secret base, the pit, is under the assistant chaplain's motor pool <laughs> in, the, in Fort Wadsworth in Staten Island, New York, a stone's throw from where we are. I mean, Larry, you had me at hello. So <laughs> I, 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 I had no chance not to go head over heels for this franchise. Look, I'm a big Star Wars nut. Everybody knows that. Big Star Trek guy. Big Game of Thrones guy. You know, we'll, we'll say the wider Marvel and DC comic superhero universes. I like Transformers a lot. My Little Pony. <laughs> right up there. <laughs> but nothing does it. Like G.I. Joe, man. And and it's it's really it's it's all down to you. So uh, you know, each year we, we make it a mission uh to get over to the uh to the Javits Center for the Comic Con. You know, in my case it's pretty easy. I work across the street at Hudson Yards. <laughs> but uh but you know, I have my kids come in, we come see you every year, you do some sketches. I think uh uh, Todd, grab that bag right there, please. The blue one. Uh, I was gonna say, I, th I think I might even have the one that Larry did for me this year. We get one from you every year. Okay. And uh, is there? A, is there? A, let's see who it is. Is it? Is it our our number one? And the fan vote, is it our number one yes, character it here? <laughs> yes, it's Snake Eyes right there. Okay. So uh, I don't know if all you recognize up. your handiwork you there. Hold it up, man. So, uh, so, 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 you know, Larry mentioned October 3rd through 6th. You can see him over there at the Javits Center for the New York Comic Con, and you'll be doing sketches, right? Right. And, Larry, do you take art direction when you do your sketches? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I do, you know, the sketches I do at the cons, you know, yeah, you know, you, you, you pick a character and I, and I do it, you know, uh, that's a con sketch. Yeah. If you art direct it, it's a commission. And then we're in a whole different pricing structure when that happens, aren't we? You got that right. 
And um, the sketches, the pencil sketches are forty dollars. Commission is five hundred. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's let's hold off on that art direction, people. Unless, unless you got a little extra free cash, uh, Larry. You know we've been going back and forth for a couple of years. We've had some we've had some some great guests on Point Blank over the years, uh, including from the comic world. You know we've had we've had Joe Casada. You know when he was editor in chief of Marvel, we've had Jimmy Palmiotti, Derek Robertson. We've had Mark Miller. Uh, most recently here in studio, we had. A noted inker Mark McKenna, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know we've been trying to get you for a while, and and I'm glad we were able to make it work. You know the guys, we had a great dinner beforehand in uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. We told some more stories, the stories that don't make it on the air here. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll tell you guys later when he's not here how Larry hooked up with Catherine Hepburn. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I just want to thank you, my friend. Thank you for coming oh, in. Well, thank you and thank making you this happen. And uh, and and for those at home, you want to be uh, be featured. You can send some questions in. We can we can discuss Larry even even some more. You know, it's point blank. At rossbrewing.com, point blank at rossbrewing.com. It will feature on mail call. Of course, we pull your comments right from the Facebook live feed. So uh, thank you all for tuning in. Todd, Mo, great to see you guys in person. Mike, Ming, thanks as always for playing excellent hosts. Thank you all very much for listening and watching. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.